morning, good afternoon, good evening, or wherever you are, or whenever you're listening to this, because it may not even be today when you're listening to this, to the Selm Film Project. This is season three, session two. I think I've got that right. And this is not Dave Kale. This is Trish Lambert, because Dave Kale, our own Dave Kale, is uh, not with us at the moment. Hopefully he will join us a little bit later. His, his little redhead uh, baby is demanding his attention this morning. So it's just me and Corey today talking about the frame narrative, at least until Dave shows up. I'll try to make up for his absence. That's right. That's right. All right. So yeah, uh, pretty excited today. I, I love the conceptual stuff. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I think in some ways the, uh, the, you know, we had a, a, a sort of unusually long gap between season two and season three. Uh, and, uh, well, coming... I mean, like, not so much. I mean, every TV show has, like, the summer off, right? So, <laughs> right. you know, it's the true. usual. It's true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the gap in between has, you know, coming back to it after the gap has, uh, you know, I've just been so excited to talk about I've been looking forward to talking about Sim Film again. It was so much fun last time, and I'm really looking forward. We're going to hash out the frame uh, today, and... I know that, uh, you know, there are some people who don't like the frame concept, but I love the frame concept. And the and, and it per, perhaps this is just my own love for, like, complex and interwoven narrative. But um, uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about these. I think that some of the ways in which we've uh, managed to balance that so far have been uh, have been really excellent. And um, I'm excited uh, to think through um, how we're going to do this here today so okay um so let's see so where we're gonna be um so i don't really have uh much in the way of announcements today we're actually in this uh we're entering this sort of our quiet period at signum and mythgard uh you know where we're continuing to run our normal programs uh, treason of isengard course has started up of course so uh if you're if you're late to that party it's not too late to join we have a we we, we have a two-week break here coming up in the class so time to get caught up on reading uh and join us for treason of isengard which has been great great fun we've had two sessions of that so far um and um uh so um so yeah so that's been really great exploring the lord of the rings is going really well we're in the old forest now and making uh quick progress okay actually our <laughs> progress is somewhat slower than the hobbit's progress towards the edge of the old forest um but uh yeah i finally i finally embraced destiny uh or, you know like basically this week is when i've formally in my own mind embraced destiny and i've just decided you know what i'm not gonna I'm not going to cut anything ever again. I'm just going to go like, so in exploring the Lord of the Rings, I'm just going to go through paragraph by paragraph through the entire rest of the Lord of the Rings. Like I'm not going to skip a word. We're going to talk about every paragraph. So this is not even a course anymore. This is like a, a, this is like a commentary. Basically, this is going to be a, you know, a multi-year commentary track on the Lord of the Rings. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be so much. So I, I have to say, there's two things about this. One is, it just cracks me up that, that one whole session, not this past one, but the one before, was just Frodo's dream. Just Frodo's dream, I mean, yeah. that was awesome. Yeah. Second is, I have this vision, because we do, a, for those of you that don't know, we do a field trip in-game after the lecture portion. Yes. And so, you know, given as slow as we're going, Corey and I are, get creative about where we're going to go in Middle Earth for the field trip. I see us being like in Gondor, and we, we've only just left Bree in the book. <laughs> yeah, you know, we'll, like, we'll see. We have to keep coming up with places to go before we actually go to the places in the game that have to do with the lecture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I think I think we're gonna. Uh, my suspicion is that we'll 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 make it. But yeah, it is uh, it is it is sort of interesting. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but, you're right. Nicholas, or either Nicholas or Matthias, probably Matthias, will become your literary executor. Yeah, definitely. And we'll be definitely. we'll be making a career out of publishing your notes from this course. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, uh, you know, people have asked me. I was just doing. A, I just did a. I just recorded last night um, an interview with the uh, the guys at the Prancing Pony podcast, who are really nice. Ooh, and uh, cool. they uh, they were asking me that question. They're like, "So, uh, you know, exploring the Lord of the Rings. Like, do you see, you know, maybe another, you know, book or you know, several books coming from that?" And I and, and I was I should have I didn't say, but I should have said like, "Yes, and I'm going to bequeath that project to my literary heirs." <laughs> Uh, you know, so absolutely um yeah uh, and then matthias olsen will ha- will be you know struggling uh in in uh negotiating with uh, film studios and having that right. experience oh absolutely yeah 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 exactly <laughs> so like you know 75 years from now matthias will be like they will make a movie out of exploring J.R.R. tolkien's the hobbit over my dead body you know like that's absolutely what's going to be happening <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. exactly no i can't Great. actually see matthias taking that stand but uh but anyway yeah. <laughs> um no no my kid would be like no but how about a video game adaptation yeah um, right i was just gonna say that's what he would do <laughs> exactly he totally yeah. would Okay, so um, anyway, so yeah, so we've got lots of stuff going on, but uh, you know, we're sort of uh, you know we don't have a, a a bunch of new stuff coming up because we are like entering the period, the sort of the the intake of breath before our fall uh, uh, fundraising campaign, which of course will start on Bilbo's birthday. So we will have lots and lots of events and special things and stuff going on uh, starting in September and through October. So. Um, and just so you guys know, I am quietly, although for as far as Corey's concerned, maybe not so quietly, campaigning to do a take Corey to Mordor as a chicken oh, in yeah. Lotro oh, yeah. as part of the fundraiser. Yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm pretty excited about the idea of uh, running in the game as a chicken all the way from Mickle Delving uh, and then ultimately hurling myself into the cracks of doom. Into that's the, that's, the cracks of that's, doom. that's my goal. And then I guess you'll get like fried chicken as your title. Uh, yeah, uh, that would ideally, yeah, yeah, that would be, uh, uh, that would be, I guess it's better than like finger licking good or something like that. You know? uh, but yeah, absolutely. That's no, that's going to be, that's going to be great fun. So there'll be lots or of stuff wings. going on then. Hot wings. That would be good. Hot wings. Wiggins. Yeah. Hot wings. Hot wings. Yeah, sounds vaguely lascivious, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So, um, so, so very good. So let's get uh, into today's episode here. So today's session, we're going to be talking about the frame narrative. Last week, we were kind of looking at the overview of the season and sort of hashing things out. Uh, we'll begin with some sort of follow-up questions and responses to that. These are uh, things that particularly came in through the discussion boards uh, last time. These sort of primary questions that folks had uh, from the discussion boards uh, concerning our outline and stuff so um okay is there a reason to keep the noldor and Beleriand storyline so separated early in season three or can they be more integrated um is there a reason oh yeah i i give you a reason i give you several reasons i'm not saying that that's necessarily the best way to do it and i'm open to other suggestions uh mostly but the reason for me the main reason why i was i know see nick as soon as i mentioned complex interwoven narrative literally in the back of my mind i was like and nick is going to bring that up when we talk about the beginning of i knew i knew i was setting myself up there and so i totally deserve it um but um but there are two primary issues 
No, there's one primary issue. The one primary issue that I uh, have a problem with uh, interweaving them more is timeline. Remember the timeline issues that we talked about before. Almost everything in the Balerian timeline really takes place centuries before the, the Noldor time. Now, I don't have a problem with the shifting of it, but what I do have a problem with is that they're not exactly contemporaneous. Um, so there are, two, there, there are two things. One is... If we have them kind of marching together, like if we're going back and forth within the episode between the Noldor and the stuff in Beleriand, we're giving the impression that it's happening both simultaneously and at approximately the same pace. And I think that there are possibly moments when that's going to end up looking absurd, actually. Um especially when it comes to something like the building of Menegroth. I mean, the building of Menegroth isn't, you know, I, we got to a place where I was comfortable with that. And I think it's not going to be necessarily the challenge that we needed to be like, it's not like we've got to like first build men, first meet the dwarves, then build Menegroth from scratch and spend a whole long time doing that. And then have further sequence of events. It can be, you know, the building of Menegroth and, you know, and it can be incorporated into the action and stuff, but still, you know, if we, if we do something like, you know, the Oath of Feanor, and then, you know, stuff in, you know, early stuff in Beleriand, and and then come back, and then, and then, you know, where we're giving the impression that only a short time has passed in Valinor, and then, you know, there's st- the, the Noldor is still in, you know, uh, sort of pressing action, and then we, we, we come back to Beleriand, and it's, it's, it's hard. I, I think that, you know, f- to me, it fits fairly naturally, especially since in the Noldor story, we have a, a, a very natural and a bunch of time passes and not much happens segment, namely when they're traveling up the coast, right? Between uh, the Kinslaying followed by Uinn's storm, there's really nothing that happens. There are no events that occur for the Noldor before the separation uh, of Fingolfin and Finarfin, other than, of course, the very significant one of the of the the Doom of Mandos. So, with the exception of the Doom of Mandos incident, um, there's no there's nothing that happens. So that to me, that's the really natural time to sort of be like, and the Noldor are trudging up the coast, and then we go and we talk about we focus on Beleriand for a while. Um, that that kind of seems to me to. Uh, to 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 fit more naturally, Nick Nick asks, is it worse that is it worse than making it look like the timelines are flipped? Yeah, I mean, I know that that makes it look like that 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 happens afterwards. As I said, the the sequence of the chronology isn't what bothers me. It's the scale of the chronology, right? To 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 be going back and forth. There's not much time that's going to pass in the first couple episodes of the Noldor, right? From the Oath of Fanor, the meetings on Tyrion, the uh, estrangement of Fanor and Nerdanel, the um, Kinslaying, right? Um, the storm, Uin and Storm. Those things happen pretty rapidly and need to have some momentum in happening pretty rapidly. And if we try to intersperse with that, especially at that stage of the of the meanwhile in Beleriand story, in the meanwhile, you know, we're still in the like, and the realms are established, and hey, we meet dwarves, and we begin to establish relationships with dwarves and stuff. Like, we can do that. I mean, I'm not saying that that's not going to be interesting, but I am saying that it. I see it seems to me hard uh, to think about interspersing that with really pressing dramatic action that's going on in, 
you know, with like crisis action over in Valinor, which is what's going on. It just doesn't seem to me to balance. And it seems to me to put a, a kind of a really funny sort of pressure on the time scale uh, over in Beleriand. Um, so, um, yeah, no, but Nick, we can't start the building of Menegroth in, C- in episode one because we have to have dwarves first. That's the whole point of the building of Menegroth. That has to come after the dwarves, um, the dwarves' involvement in that. Again, if we want to retain that, and I think we do want to retain that, um, we've got that's got to come first. So again, that's another that's another uh, sort of issue there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my argument would be to stick with an Noldor. You know, we can check in and stuff, and, and maybe, I guess. But, um, but especially since there's a way in which it's not exactly like we ended season two on a, on a, um, on a cliffhanger, right? We didn't leave it on a cliffhanger. And yet we did not leave it at a point of resolution either. Right. You know, we've got uh, uh, we've got things still fairly fraught there at the end of season two. Um, And so returning at the beginning of season three with the exclusive focus of sticking with the story that we were telling and bringing that, um, you know, to its not not to a resolution, but to a a down point. Right. Um, uh, Namely, the the traveling up the coast, which I think we can do in a couple two or three episodes at least. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, well, hang on a second. So, so tell me more. What exactly would we want to include in session one? So if we did, if we did do Balerian stuff in session one, what do we do? What is it that we interject with? Um... I'm okay with planting seeds, you know, to sort of be like, hey, don't forget, Beleriand is going on, and this might be important later, and then we come back to them in, in episode four, or three or four, whichever, you know, however we, whether it takes us two or three um, episodes to do the early stuff, uh, that's still a little bit unclear in my mind. I suggested two last time, that might end up feeling rushed, I don't know, um, but... Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with the idea, but again, I, I have a hard time, I mean... What what happens at the beginning? And again, it can't, can't be can't be Manigroth. Um So yeah, yeah. The discovery of the dwarves. But I think we needed. Didn't we have that? Didn't we have that at a later stage? Don't we? Didn't we want to have them? Didn't we want to have them getting their butts kicked by the orcs first, and then they meet with the dwarves and form their alliance with the dwarves and get more better armor and weapons, and then turn the tide, and then Sauron changes the plan again? Um, yeah, yeah. See, I, uh, Mike, I, I tend to agree with your line of thinking. Mike Hockstead says, we, we left Beleriand so cold and alone in season two, and it's true. We abandoned it in what, episode six, and didn't go back, basically? Um, you know, that uh, he says, I think we really need to come back to them with some oomph and not just a small seed and then nothing uh, for a while. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, Robert, I can't, uh, I can't 
follow links or read a whole bunch of things right now in the middle of the episode. Uh, but uh, happy to hear specific suggestions uh, that you might have. Um, uh, yeah. So again, I'm 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 open to the idea, but I as far as changing the plan to say we really need to move the Balerian story forward at the beginning again, that I just can't see. Um, if if for no other reason than that, they're different kinds of stories right then. You know. Uh, it doesn't seem to me to make dramatic sense to juxtapose, you know, the the really sort of climactic crisis action of, you know, what's going on over there, you know, with the oath and the kinslaying and everything with the just sort of building, establishing, um, remember this cast of characters that you haven't seen in a long time. And here's the basic issue of what's going on and let us establish first, like what the, you know, issue is that needs to be resolved and stuff like that. Those two things seem to me kind of imbalanced and, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see them really living together naturally. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Nick is saying that we have to remember that we'll have to mirror the tension curve of both of those separate stories in the frame, which might get a bit hectic. Agreed. But that's part of the fun, right? That's part of the challenge. So so that's that's exactly where we're headed here today. So that's great. I just um, think there's going to be a natural – I think there's going to be a natural move into Balerian. I mean, you know, we focus – the Noldor are the focus, you know, as we left season two. Right. Season three, we certainly would have them be the focus. Right. And, of course, the Kinslang pretty much, like, over you know, overshadows everything else. I, I just think the Balerian story can be brought along – you know, we can kind of flow into it. I'm not quite sure how to do that in the sense of we don't want to do a lot of flashbacks and we want to really stay away from a lot of narrative is like, oh, well, well, well you guys have been over in Tyrion. This is what we, you know, we need to be careful about that. But I do think there's a way to do it. And yeah. we still can maintain sort of an interest in that particular storyline. Yes, exactly. And, you know, uh, Marie's absolutely right that the, the primary bridge between the Noldor and the Balerian stories is Morgoth. Um, so, you know, the bad guys and the bad guy and the development of the bad guy plot, um, could really be the glue is a way to kind of not just transition, but to, yeah, to really, to really connect the two and make it seem like it's not. Cause I agree, you know, Mike was just pointing out that, you know, there is a risk of it feeling like, you know, sort of two separate seasons, right. You know, like we, we turn to Morgoth's morning briefing. He gets briefed on exactly. the Noldor coming into Middle Earth, and then the, what's the next item on the agenda? Valerian. Exactly. Easy, exactly. Easy. Because because nothing nothing says compelling drama like corporate briefing sessions. You know, yeah, so, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes perfect sense. His assistant comes in to give him his meds for his headache. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, I'm, I, I love it. I love it. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. Well, actually, um, we should talk to Brotherhood Work. Brother, what is it? Brotherhood Workshop on that. They could do a little thing on that. Oh, right? absolutely. The, yeah. No. Animated be, Legos. Yeah, <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, uh, yeah, Phil. Exactly. Phil is uh, pointing out that you know we could we could build it from Melkor starting his orc raids in Beleriand. Yeah, it would be kind of right. neat to start the Beleriand story from the uh you know the angban perspective actually would be would be kind of true. fun you know like that the first time that we see thingle and melian again you know is like from the point of view of the orcs essentially that'd be kind of neat um but you know we'll 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 see um we'll see i mean i think and um 
but but yeah, so Mike and Nick, you know, as far as the whole like two separate seasons thing, I actually do think that this is um, less of an issue in this season than it was last season. Um, you know, obviously with last season, there was a turning point. I mean, like that was part of the whole point, right? Was the Middle Earth side and then the Valinor side and leaving the Beleriain stuff behind that's like actually part of the theme, right? You know, like that's, they, 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 they split off and then we don't hear from them again. Uh, and I actually, I don't consider that a downside. I consider that a, 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 a plus side. I mean, it's part of the experience, right? To sort of, uh, just as the viewers are going to be saying like, oh yes, I remember these people from long ago. That's just what the Noldor say when they come back, you know? So um, I actually think that that's kind of, uh, that that's kind of fun. Um, but, um, I, uh, so yeah, so I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't regret that at all. And I think that the stories are going to be much better integrated. It's only at the beginning of the, of the season that, you know, we're, 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 we're going to see them kind of coming into collision. Um, that, I mean, the Sindar and the Noldor are not going to meet in this season. So in that sense, it is going to be two parallel storylines. Um, but especially as we get into the second half of the season, and essentially both of them are confronting Morgoth, essentially, on two different frontiers, um, then, you know, we're going to... The, 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 their two stories are going to come together. But always, the the Angband story is going to be this, this central element. You know, I mean, that uh, I, it's the thing that I think is going to be really fun about the Angband storylines in season three is it really is going to be sort of the glue that holds the whole thing together um, in what I think would be really, really, really fun ways. Um, so uh, I agree, Nick, we'd better do an amazing job on our frame this time around. That is absolutely true. And, uh, and we will, we will get to that. So in the interest of getting to that, let me uh, get to our next question, which is why is Denethor's death after Feanor's? Okay. I have an answer to this question, but I don't insist upon it. Um, I am uh, I am perfect. I am much more ready to uh, uh, to give in. So as you can see, uh, in, in these first two questions, these are rather pointed questions that are being asked. You know, these are these are these are counter suggestions being phrased as questions. Basically, both of them. I know. Which I know. I'm a little bit. I'm, which is fine. You know. I'm, I'm, I, you know? I'm feeling there's a little bit of attempted um, <laughs> what manipulation, rebellion. I'm not well, sure. You know, I, anyway, it's, it's, you know, this is this is the prerogative of you know the 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 the, the, the viewership and the discussion boards. You know, to 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 make these arguments. Um, yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Yes, phrasing the demands as questions rather than as demands. Um, so right. let me say, I am willing to accede to the implicit demand of the second question. If we want to have uh, Denethor's death before Feanor's, I I can get that. And that's is fine. there. Well, let me ask it over there around. Why is it important to have Denethor's death after Fan, uh, uh, before Feanor's, other than just simply it's written in the timeline? Right. Um, I. I okay. Let me try to give an argument for both of them. Um, number one, the reason I had initially suggested Denethor's death come after Feanor's is that in my mind, Denethor's death is the tragic culmination of the Beleriand arc. Um, remember, we're not going to get. We're going to end up 
focused on the Noldor again. I, we're going to end with the sun rising and, and Fingolfin arriving um, and, you know, with, uh, you know, Mithras in captivity. So that's all Northern Front. That's all that's all Nordor, Noldor focused. Um, and the destruct that, you know, the, the death of Denethor and the annihilation of so many of the green elves uh, is going to be, you know, basically the annihilation of like the whole fighting force that they send out to try to help and support Thingol um, is a tragedy. And it's going to be the tragedy, which is, which is um, the penultimate note. I mean, the last note of the Beleriand story in season three, as we were discussing it last time is when, um, the messenger comes from the north to tell them that the Noldor have arrived and they think that the Valar have sent them aid, right? So we will end their story on a note of hope, though, of course, the readers will know it'll be slightly ironic hope, right? Because they'll know that that's not actually what has happened. Um, so we will end with that. We can end with that note of hope. But prior to that note of hope, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the death of Denethor and the destruction of most of the Green Elves is like, that's kind of where that, thread ends and it looks like Sauron is winning and, and likely to win uh, down there in, on the southern front. Um, so it's because of the role of Denethor's death as the culmination essentially other than the hopeful coda at the end um, but essentially the culmination of the Beleriand arc um, is why I was positioning that later because I didn't want to stop the Beleriand arc completely you know, four episodes before the end. Um, so that's why I was pushing the death of Denethor later on. Um, and yeah, anyway, so, um, uh, so that's, that's, that was my, that was the, my rationale for suggesting that in the first place. Now, again, I am open to other, uh, uh, to other examples. So let's think about, I say both, uh, Nick and Marie are, um, thinking about Gothmog and Sauron. So I agree. Let's, let's think about it. Because so Nick says um, that it's creating the opposite impression that we wanted. Okay. Gothmog succeeds without Sauron's help while Sauron's campaign ends in defeat rather than him simply moving to help support Gothmog. Um, no, it doesn't. No, it's Denethor's death is Sauron's victory. I mean, like, Sauron's got the South under control. And that's where we end. So this, but the success of Gothmog, um, yeah. Um, so, so I'm a part of my problem as usual is that, um, uh, is that I'm, Okay, well, so Nick says, but that battle ends up in defeat for the orcs. Thingol wins the battle. Well, sort of, but I mean, not really. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, like a whole bunch of orcs die, but they kill Denethor and murder all and murder all of Thingol's allies. So, I, I mean, I, I that's hard for me to sort of say that that's a that that's a, and I don't think we even have to do that latter part if we don't, if we don't want to make Thingol victorious, we don't have to. I kind of don't want to actually. Um, you know, we can give him some victories. Um, but no, I was, my thought there, Nick, was that the death of Denethor, this is like, um, you know, small scale battle of unnumbered, it's like the battle of unnumbered tears, green elf version, (laughs) essentially is what I, is how I was seeing that. Um, and I was, uh, so even to the point of having, um, 
even to the point of having Doriath essentially besieged. So Denethor is destroyed, the Havens are besieged, the, uh, the Doriath is, deceived, is besieged. It looks like it's only a matter of time until the entire south falls. And then Sauron has to withdraw because the Noldor are coming in. And so, you know, Morgoth withdraws his troops and that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, at best, Marie, exactly. At best, it could be a Pyrrhic victory for Thingol. But I don't even think we have to make it a victory for, for Thingol. Um, so, so yeah. So I was thinking that that basically looks like... Um, uh, uh, we can have a successful alliance battle... Um, Nick, that is a Sindar dwarf alliance battle. We can we can totally do that, but um, I don't think that has to be at the end. I think that we can have them losing at the end, um, despite the alliance. Um, so that in the end, the girdle of Melian and you know the the the, the deployment of the girdle of Melian is uh, is is like this is. Uh, well, it's not waving the white flag because it's not—it's not surrendering, you know. But it's—it's—it's it's, uh, it's like the desperation move. They're just fording up because they have, uh, you know, they're like the girdle of Melian is like the panic room, you know. Um, like when you've retreated into the panic room, you might be safe, but you're—you're—you you're, know, like you've kind of lost the battle. I mean, you're—you're—you're you're just kind of clinging on and hoping to survive, and that's the place that I think that we leave the Sindar in Beleriand clinging on and just hoping to survive. Um, Sauron can be... I kind of like the idea of Sauron being thwarted or sort of feeling thwarted there at the end, right? Because he's about to win his campaign, but Morgoth is probably going to pull all of his troops back and be like, no, nah, hang on, we got bigger problems, right? We've killed Fanor, but we've got the Noldor landing here, and then the sun rises, right? So um, everything seems to be going uh, poorly all of a sudden for them. Um, but of course, Melkor is going to be much more interested, excuse me, Morgoth, as he already is, Morgoth is going to be much more interested in uh, um, in the Noldor. He's going to be you know, a little bit Noldor obsessed. So he's going to want to pull uh, Sauron's troops back. And essentially, because I'm kind of wondering, how sensitive do you think we should make Morgoth to the machinations of his underlings? Wait, don't answer that. We'll talk about that next time. But uh, uh, so uh, next time I'll ask that question again. Um, because I, I don't even know, like, cause Sauron is going to look at this as, like, he's handing his armies over to Gothmog, and Gothmog is not doing nearly as well as he is, but that's not going to be necessarily how, how Morgoth looks at it. Anyway. Um, oh, uh, that's right. That's another thing we need to talk about next time is the whole Gothmog-Sauron yeah. relationship now that Daddy's back. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so, but see, Nick, I like the death of Feanor as the victory of Gothmog. Because, um, see... I think that's kind of the fun twist of the bad guy story for most, for the majority of the season. Um, well, for the majority of the, you know, latter three quarters of the season, it looks like Sauron is doing well. Sauron has like, you know, he'll have a couple setbacks. You know, the good guys will do, will do some, some good things, but basically it, it, it pretty much looks like he's got the Southern front in hand and Gothmog is getting his but handed to him time and again, like you know, his orcs are getting are getting shattered uh, by the Noldor as they come in, and they're not able to accomplish much of anything. And, uh, and but then, like 
out of nowhere, they get the one big success, right? Because even the battle in which they kill Feanor, they still lose, right? They still get tromped in that battle, but they kill Feanor. So um, I kind of like the idea. I mean, imagine like the, the sort of like tongue gnawing frustration on Sauron's part, right? When like he is balancing like what Gothmog has accomplished and what he has accomplished. Right. And he's like, okay, Gothmog has lost every battle that he's been in. I've won most, almost every battle that we've been in. I've totally conquered the whole kingdom. They're getting beaten back at all points, but dang it. They killed Feanor. And that's the thing that Morgoth really loves and cares about. So like, because of this one action, which is not even the winning of a battle, but this one action, Gothmog gets this glory and that's going to really tick Sauron off. And I like the tension of that. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. And so, so Nick, I, I think we, we, we should have bad guy plot episodes, not only early on, but I think we should have them not only early, but often I want to do more with the bad guys in this season, um, because of that role. And Murray, I'm just coming back to what you were saying before, cause you're right. They are the bridge. Um, I think the more that we involve the, uh, the Ang band perspective in this season, the easier it's going to be for our viewers to understand both halves of this, you know, both of the primary storylines of the season, the Balerian side and the Noldor side as one, uh, as one story. Cause it is Angband that joins them and makes them into what they don't even realize that they're one story. The Noldor have no idea what's going on in Balerian. The Sindar have no idea what's going on over in Valinor and up at the Helcaraxa and everything. Um, only Angband knows both sides and only they are involved in both sides. So I really do want to, uh, uh, want to see that, uh, not, not, not foregrounded, but, um, uh, prominent in that way. Um, I have a request. Can we yeah. move to the narrative? I only have a half an hour to. Oh, yeah, here, sure, so sure, sure. Wondering if we could, maybe you can always circle back and talk about the stuff after I go. Yes, of course. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Trish is, has to, has to slip out in a little bit. So, okay. Yeah. Let's, let's, uh, let's keep going. And okay. Ending the season with the rising of the sun was generally approved. Good. Okay. I think, I think we're fine with that. I'm glad everybody, I'm glad everybody approved of, you know, at least one thing that we said last time. So that's, that's, that's encouraging. Our performance review. We got a, pl- you know, <laughs> we, got, we, we, we got one plus. So, okay. All right. So, um, uh, this is our episode outline from last time. I'll come back to this. Um, uh, it just, I should have actually you come had back this to this once I'm out of the way, this, but yeah. <laughs> Well, no, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll come back to this when we're looking at the when we're thinking through the frame as well. So we'll we'll, we'll oh, right, this. Right. So this is just a review of the stuff that we talked about last time. We'll come back to that. Okay, frame story. So let's talk about the frame story conceptually now. Uh, um, so our goal here, right, to identify the content of the frame. Um, but we want to be thinking about it in the context of the storyline for the season. Um, here's the the sort of the outline. One and two we've already done, right? So to refresh your memory, season one, right? We did 10-year-old Aragorn learning about the beginning of the world and the fall of Melkor uh, while dealing with being a, a mortal child in Rivendell. We had all the Gilrein, Elrond tension and all that stuff, remember? Um, season two, we did Arwen and Lothlorien, and she was our center point for the, the, the foregrounding of the question of, like, where is the destiny of elves? Do they belong in Middle-earth? Do they belong in Valinor? And so we had the whole Middle-earth and Valinor thing going on uh, there, what really is elven home and that kind of thing in season two. So I really like all that stuff. Now, season three. To, thinking about where we're headed, one of the things that... Uh, I know that I've been kind of, uh, you know, 
hanging my hat on for a while is season five. Season five is going to be the Baron and Luthien story, and I cannot imagine not doing Aragorn and Arwen during right, yeah. season five. I mean, that kind of... Um, it seems almost it would seem almost like a kind of blasphemy not to parallel Aragorn and Arwen and Baron and Luthien. I mean, as far as I can see, that's the entire reason Arwen exists is in order to parallel Luthien. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that that's that's and we've set that up already, right? In introducing Aragorn and Arwen's characters in season one and season two. Um, four is still very speculative. Uh, it's, you know, a s- suggestion you know, that we've received here. And Murray, I don't know if this is your suggestion or somebody else's suggestion that you're transmitting to us, but um, the idea of having Bilbo as a narrator, remember season four is going to be the one where we're going to be doing the, you know, from the uh, rescue of Mithros through the uh, battle of sudden flame. So the, the, you know, sort of the, the siege of Ang band and the tension between the Sindar and the Noldor is going to be very prominent. Um, we're going to get the, the story of Andreth and Ignor, which I'm really looking forward to and all that stuff. Um, I, I want to say that while I want to keep the door open on the frame narrative for season four, I like this idea because the other thing is Bilbo will also be able to give a little comic relief in mm-hmm. a very heavy season. Yes. So yes. I like this and I, you know, I want to leave the door open, but I, I think this is a really good idea for season four. I think it is a really good idea. Um, we had talked at the very beginning of season one about like whom we wanted our narrators to be, you know, whom we wanted our frame protagonists to be. Um, and I, you know, I had been pushing for Sam as a, as a frame protagonist, but this, the idea that we have, we, we have been, almost insensibly moving chronologically through the frame. Um, you know, or that is our frame stories have been moving chronologically. Um, and we do have sort of an undeniable chronological pattern between season one, season two and season five. Yeah. Right. Um, and I kind of like, that. I ra- I, and I've raised the question, you know, do we need to have it be chronological? I'm right. not sure. I, I, I tend to think probably yes, because otherwise the viewers, brain might explode from one season we're already to the next. asking a lot of our viewers and keeping time straight right. and jumping back and forth um if we right. uh, if we have this frame you know if we have like the thing that we're jumping back and forth between itself start jumping around um it it might be yeah uh it might be one too many so uh, so yeah i have two ideas that i'd like to go ahead and just like okay bleh, right okay. now all right um Thinking about this season, we're still very elf-focused, obviously, yes. right? And we've got the Noldor, the Sindar, everybody. Last season was also elf-focused, but it was mainly Noldor. And in my mind, in the frame narrative, although we did have a story of its own going on with Arwen and questioning Middle-earth, the focus was on Galadriel as the Noldoran representative mm-hmm. in that frame right. narrative, okay? Yes. yes, So to me, this season still needs to be elf-centric, okay? But I'm thinking we move to a Sindarin uh, uh, representative. I don't think it can be Kelleborn Kel- because he already showed up last season. Yeah, yeah. No, so he, when I he thought was about our it, representative last year. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, in his usual guise as you know, as being the other guy, basically Kelleborn. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> true to type. Yeah. So the two standouts for me, Sindar wise, are Kirdan and uh, Legolas Thranduil. Okay, those to me. We're like, okay, we're thinking Sindar stories in a t- in the time frame of the frame narrative. Now, you know, I had originally thought Kirdan, the Astari arrived, Kirdan, but that's 
back. That's not in chronological order. Doesn't mean we still couldn't have one. We could have yeah. Gandalf visiting Círdan in the Grey Havens and having a conversation with him. That could be the frame story. The other frame story I thought could be interesting, especially given that this season we're going to have a really strong bad guys plot that we're going to have to develop yeah. or a storyline, yeah. is Legolas in Mirkwood with the hunt for Gollum being part of the elements. Right. And the conversations then about Gollum and uh, you know, I mean, it would be sort of the bad guy piece of the evil piece of the frame narrative. So there might be something along those lines that would also bring in, you know, some of this history that were, you know, make it yes. applicable to the story. So yes. those were my two ideas um, mm-hmm. as far as having it be Cinderin. Um, right. You know, I think we also, why we, we couldn't, I don't, yeah, those are the only two I really thought of that would be standouts that would be recognizable to the audience, potentially. Right. Right. Yeah, no, that that is also an important thing because, yeah, we do have to remember that was one of the other things that we liked about uh, the frame, right? Um, that we, um, um, in doing, uh, in doing the frame the way that we've been doing, one of the, one of the goals is to, was, or one of the perks, not one of the goals, one of the perks of doing it was to um, give the viewers a frame of reference that they understood, you know, like as, like a sort of right. a, a resting point, because they're going to be familiar with Elrond and, uh, and, and so, you know, discovering that the little boy Estelle in season one turns out to be Aragorn, which many will know, but many will not, um, is, is like a fun kind of Easter egg. Again, it's, it's, it's couching it within a, within the familiar world of the Lord of the Rings. Um, right. So yes. I think making, you know, and doing a Legolas Thranduil Mirkwood frame narrative, of course, is a, you know, we could tip our hat a little bit to Peter Jackson and and Legolas with his daddy issues. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or father-son, you know, conflict. I don't know. I yeah. mean, we might not want to go there. I would almost like to reframe their relationship. I don't want to depend on how, you know, Jackson portrayed it. But anyhow, you know, we do have Thranduil who has his own memories and stories, right? And Len Legolas, and we don't necessarily have to have it be a mentor, mentee, like we've kind of done it in the first two. Legolas could be more of a man of action, especially if we pull Gollum into the thing. But right. man, elf of action. But anyway, so I, as you can tell, I'm tending more toward maybe a Mirkwood, uh, Thranduil, Legolas kind of something. Right, right. Um, yeah. Um, uh yeah, I think that I, I certainly do like that idea. Um, I do want to involve the elves significantly, and you're right. We can't. We, it would be awkward to have this be a or not to have this really explicitly connected to the elves because that's such a huge. Uh, th- right. That is that you know the the whole central focus. Um, but here's the other factor that I'm thinking uh, in in coming through that. Let me go backwards for a second. Um, on my slides here. If we do, if we did do Bilbo in season four, which I like, um, I, I, I like that too. We're going to start season five with 20 year old Aragorn and we will never have seen him since he was 10. Um, we've just juxtaposed in season one and season two, you know, like, uh, late elementary school age Aragorn. Um, and then we shift to his future wife, who's already, of course, fully grown and has been for a really long time. Um, I would kind of like to grow Aragorn up a little bit before we start his romantic relationship. 
Um, I would like to, 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 to have Aragorn. The other thing is that I would say is that I, I really like, um, I really like the idea of the adventures of young Aragorn. You know, we've joked about that and talked about that before. And the idea of seeing Aragorn out in the wild, um, and, you know, him going through some kind of, you know, growing pains. He was more in season one, he was more the, um, he was more, I was going to say the victim. That's not exactly right. He was the bone of contention rather than the one doing the growing up. Exactly. Right. Season one wasn't exactly about him growing up. It was about the, the protagonists of, of the frame in season one really were Gil Ryan and Elrond essentially. Um, and Aragorn was the subject of their discussion, um, which is cool, but I would kind of like to grow Aragorn up before we, you know, put him to, because basically the premise of, um, you know, the premise of, of this, of the season five frame is, you know, we, we're going to need to do the Estelle learns who he really is and learns his whole heritage and is given the broken sword, um, fairly early in that season. Um, and again, I, I, I want more, I think Aragorn needs to grow up. I think, you know, we need to take him from the 10 year old boy he was to that point, um, where, so that there's going to be, I think, more significance, uh, when we finally get to the Elrond says, ah, I see you are ready now. Like I will tell you your heritage right. and I will give you the sword. Um, yeah. A couple things on that. I mean, I think I had always thought of Adventures of Young Aragorn as a synonym for the adventures of Thorongil. So I had always thought it was going to be after he left to go right. off and be Thorongil. Well, that's the adventures um, of middle-aged Aragorn. <laughs> that's yeah. middle, adventures of middle-aged Aragorn, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Still, my, you know, I, I just really resist the idea of just, you know, going back and forth between Aragorn and, Ar- you know, Aragorn, 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 Aragorn. I hear I mean, it. I hear that. Season four, we could do Aragorn in season four. Now, is there any way that Aragorn and Bilbo could maybe meet again? You well, know, he could. met Bilbo when he was a child, when but, he's out, and I don't know, have... that's where the Dunedin-Bilbo relationship really forms. Right. Um, we should get like that. that. maybe in season four. We should get that, but we can't grow Aragorn up that way through incidental meetings with Bilbo once or twice. I mean, unless we uh, really make his relationship with Bilbo a major focus, in which case we're basically doing an Aragorn frame anyway, just with Bilbo thrown well, in. Well, but I'm so. about season four, you know, I mean, I just can't believe Aragorn's growing up. Nah, I don't think so. I mean, well, so but here's the other thing. I mean, if we do that a lot in season four, then then you're getting two Aragorn frames back to back, whereas he 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 can vanish for most of season four. I mean, most of season four, he can he can maybe come in and do a cameo, maybe one or two episodes frame or something in season sure. four when Bilbo sure. meets him. So that, as you say, we can sort of show that relationship developing, um, you know, have them compose a poem together. Who knows? But um, but if we do the main Aragorn story in season three, we've not seen Aragorn for uh, I mean a long time and he was a kid right so nobody else is going to have Aragorn on we at that point right and uh and <laughs> and so he'll be he, he's he's the, he's the subject but not the agent of season 1 uh he'll be the he would be the agent in season 3 and one of the two agents in season 5 but we can feel free to leave him behind for a while after that i mean well how about this how about if we do something like this then in season 3 which could actually touch on even my ideas which is sort of the roaming is under the 
under the uh, protective wing of the twins. Right. He yeah. could go to the Grey Havens and meet Kyrdan. Exactly. That's just what I was going to suggest. Is yeah. he going to know Legolas? He may or may not know Legolas. I mean, he could he could meet Legolas in Mirkwood. We don't have to have him be just first meeting in Council of Elrond, right? Yeah. I mean, so maybe that's your maybe that's the way to do it. And it also sort of. Now that I'm thinking about that, that kind of represents a little bit of what we're going to be looking at this season anyway in terms of this range of geography we're going to have to cover in the main story, right? Right. I mean, there's some geography we got to deal with here, right? Yes. So, yes. yeah, I could get with that, you know, to right. where it's not just – I mean, we're, we're, we're Aragorn-centric but not like Aragorn's – obsessed exactly <laughs> exactly aragorn centric but not aragorn obsessed yeah i think that we can use aragorn as a vehicle in season three to to go from elf to elf he's going to still be primarily involved with the elves um the twins i would think right. would be very significant right. characters in the frame yes um uh yes. Kyrden, he absolutely could get to Kyrden. in fact i have a I have a I have a I have a mechanism up my sleeve in mind to get him to cure them uh, and to bring in Gandalf in an interesting and significant I was going to ask about that too if we could bring yes. in Gandalf. Yes. And I like having the twins involved because we did meet them last season, right? Didn't we have them show up? Yes. Uh, yes. to visit Arwen so yes, we, we have did. a little bit of a We did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so we have them and we can we can we can keep uh, we can keep going. Um uh, yeah, yeah, no. So that's that is the uh, that is the idea. No, yeah. And Ruth is reminding us that we talked about you know the uh, the uh, you know, Aragorn wandering around with the twins as 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 a, a frame concept a while back. Yeah. No, hey, exactly. nothing is definite until we actually come to the season. So that's we right. don't make advanced decisions. Exactly. Nothing exactly, in concrete. Yeah. 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 So no, I, I think that we can yeah. definitely we, we should definitely do that. We can bring okay. in other elves if we want. Again, we could take them to Mirkwood. No reason we couldn't take him to work with. It's a bit of a hike, but we could do that. Um, uh, that would be interesting. Somebody had suggested a while back that we could um, we could go through um, the 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 we we could touch on the Gollum escape. Thing. Remember, we did the Gollum escaping Mirkwood plot. We we touched well, on that be... with Arwen. Right, oh, yeah, last season? it would be, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would still be around this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we could get, yeah. you know, we could get, uh, we could bring him into Mirkwood and have him kind of come into contact with, the, you know, w- the, the, there are ways which we could kind of okay, okay. play So here's my question. How, so I cannot believe that the twins would be, you know, bugging around teenage Aragorn with, and have and never mentioned their sister. <laughs> You know, I could see them maybe wanting to maybe fix up Legolas with her sister. But maybe they never mention her by name. Maybe they just simply say, our sister. Right? I mean, I just can't imagine they would go around with Aragorn and never mention that they have a sister, right? But, I mean, it could be kind of funny. It could right? be kind that, of funny, yeah. They yeah. never mention her by name, but just that there's this sister off somewhere that he doesn't really pay much attention to. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah, we would have to think about how to, because of course, you know, uh, 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 you know, you're referring, of course, to the uh, the surprise that Aragorn expresses right. in you know exactly. in the appendix when he first sees her and he goes to Elrond and he's like, "What you know?" Or no, he goes to her and he's like, "I can't believe that you know Elrond has had you locked away in his hoard, right?" Um, well, I know Marie says Aragorn doesn't even know that Elrond has a daughter, but I think that's got to be that will have to. That's the question, that's, right? We 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 can decide yeah. either either we're going to have to play with that in some interesting ways right um because yeah. uh, I, I, I agree with you it's going to be interesting we at least need a kind of explanation right if if uh, uh if the twins are not even going to mention that um yeah yeah 
but uh, anyway, yeah, no. So that's, um, I think that that's, that's something that's worth thinking about. But anyway, yes, yeah, so I think also, that, that also the other thing is to have some way of explaining why it is they would maybe go to Mirkwood, but not ever go to Lorien. I mean, just, just saying, just saying, right. Well, you know, we have to think about, yeah, I don't yeah. think that's hard to get around actually, but you could just simply be, you wouldn't be allowed in there. You'd be killed. They'd shoot you as soon as we got to the border. So sorry, dude, we're not taking you there. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, Robert is quoting the text. I know the text. I know that I know that he's never heard of her before. That's exactly what it says in the appendix. But remember, when Tolkien wrote that appendix, he had like barely invented Arwen. Like there's a reason that Aragorn has never heard of Arwen because nobody had ever heard of Arwen. So um, so, you know, the appendix. I think we have a little attitude there. Exactly. And And I'm wondering, would he have even done the story that way had Arwen been involved from the beginning? Yeah. And in our version of the story, she is involved from the beginning. So we can we 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 can choose. We might we might choose to keep that that moment, you know, and have him Maria, be blown the away. Great conceit. The appendix is a scribe of Gondor's take on the story, and you know yeah. how they always sort of like added and embellished and things. Exactly. They just made it more dramatic. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, exactly. So, I, I mean, I, I could see it working either way. I'm open to, I mean, I'd be interested to hear what yeah. people on the discussion boards think about yeah. this. You know, should yeah. we try to play I, it that way? Should we try to make it, um, uh, have them never mention it? Um, uh, yeah, that's actually my challenge to the discussion board is how, you know, how do we, I mean, I'm fine if we could come up with a believable way that they would never mention her. Right. Right. That's a possibility, you exactly. know, and maybe it's just a single trip that they're taking Aragorn on or they're taking him on little four ways and they always have something they're focused on war wise or, you know, like right. guys just don't talk about their sisters when they're in the middle of exactly. worrying about how to fight orcs. You know, that might be right. the reason. So it's okay that it just might know. never come up. But but still, I think uh, we should be deliberate about that, you know, like we should yes. be uh, yeah. because. Uh, it may be that Eladon and Elro here are just not thinking about it, right? That that, right. that might be right. the case. But we're thinking about it, and our viewers <laughs> need to be, you know, like we, to, to, building the kind of dramatic irony there would be part of the fun, right? So, uh, so you know, do we want the fun of uh, contriving to conceal Arwen's entire existence from him, or do we uh, do we do we leak to him? Does he? do we make him aware of the concept, but yet he's just never met her and doesn't think so that she is still a revelation to him when he does meet her. Um, uh, there are lots of ways we could play this, you know, do, uh, does Eladon or Elro here have some kind of foreboding and they keep the idea of their, you know, they keep the knowledge of their sister deliberately from him. Who knows? I mean, there are all kinds of ways we could play that if we wanted to. Right. right. So, um, so yeah, the point is just sort of to challenge us to think about that. Cause I think that could be really fun one way or another. Um, okay. So, um, let me, uh, Oh, so let me, let me, let me, let me, let me get to my idea. Um, my idea is, so I have a, a, this is a, this is a heterodox suggestion. Um, uh, it's a heterodox suggestion because I am, I am going to make the suggestion that we knowingly ditch or alter, uh, third age chronology here, but it's not in a pretty major way. <clears throat> I think, I hope that you'll agree that we can get away with this. Um, I was thinking what happens? Like, is there anything, is there anything from the text rooted in, and you know, Marie, you we were talking about this before and you were pointing out there's really nothing. And there really isn't. I mean, if you go to the tale of years 
and you look at, you know, the time of the Battle of Five Armies, which is about when season one was, right? Down through when, uh, you know, when Aragorn uh, learns who he is, like that 10-year gap, nothing happens. Like, there's like literally no events other than like Theoden is born during that time. Like, that's 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 kind of it, right? Um, so we don't really get any chronological events in that time. And so there's nothing to kind of hang our hats on. Uh, I'm making Marie really nervous with my long build up here. It's not that radical, actually. It's going to be a letdown <laughs> after all that setup. Um, the Fell Winter. Let's put the Fell Winter in that time. Now, the Fell Winter um, was a major crisis, especially in the Shire. You'll remember that's when the Brandywine froze over and the White Wolves attack from the north, and it's a crisis all over Eriador. Uh, uh, the 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 uh, the fell winter. It was in Bilbo's lifetime. It actually happened in 1311. So it actually happens 30 years prior to Bilbo's adventure, to the events of The Hobbit and to the events of the frame of season one. Um, so, you know, Aragorn's not born yet. Uh, Gilrein is four uh, <laughs> when the fell winter occurs. So just, 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 I, I, you know, I know that that is the case. But here are the advantages of putting the fell winter uh, into. Uh, our, I think there are many advantages of putting the fell winter into our plot of the season three frame. Uh, one, it gives us an actual crisis, not just Aragorn like, I'm wandering around Middle-earth learning stuff. I mean, we can do that and we can make that interesting, but it gives an actual uh, a, 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 a event to occur. And Maria, of course, you have hit on exactly what made me think of this in the first place, the Helcaraxa advantages, right? Um, we get some excellent and plain parallels with the crossing of the Helcaraxa so that we can have some, uh, some really good fodder when we get to that point. The other thing, of course, is that it brings us in the Shire word direction um, because it was in the fell winter uh, that Gandalf really first becomes attached to hobbits. Uh, and seeing their fortitude in the time of the fell winter was the thing that really moved Gandalf to admiration for hobbits in the first place. Um, so... I um uh I like that for that so we can bring Gandalf in as well and tell and sort of leak the story of the beginning of of uh of Gandalf's relationship with uh with the hobbits one of the problems with that of course is that the fell winter was like an old took story right and that's kind of how Gandalf became friends with the old took so we we mess with that chronology a little bit so I I don't know and I have no solution for the old took problem um, like, you know, whither Gerontius is a question which the movement of the fell winter uh, brings in. Now, I mean, we can just say that he was friends with him before or whatever, but um, <clears throat> but anyway, yeah, so so we could have, yeah, Robert Brown points out, Aragorn could aid in the evacuation of Tharbad. Yeah, the, the Great Floods uh, is another major thing, like the, the Great Flood, which ultimately uh, yeah. destroyed Tharbad and, uh, and led to its desertion. Um, yeah, that's another crisis that we could, we, could, we could bring in. So we could have a bunch of, uh, of um, ecological crises <laughs> in Middle-earth going on during this time, which are all vaguely in this time period, even though they don't fall precisely into these years. Um, but that's where I was thinking of Kierden, um, uh, Trish, because if we get him in the Shire, ah, right, yeah, helping yeah. out with Gandalf in the press, you know, we're, we're already over towards the Havens, right? So, uh, Gandalf could meet up with Aragorn and possibly with the twins as well in the whole, like, let's rally people to help su support, you know, to, you know, so we set up the, 
Dunedain as protectors of the Shire, working with Gandalf to help protect the Shire plotline, you know, so we, we sort of set the set the, the stage for that. Um, but of course, there would be elves around too, because, you know, so they could, they, you know, he could be sent to Cirdan to, like, get his aid, um, you know, of the people who are just inland from him, and so we can have him meet Cirdan that way, and, get, and that way we could get a whole, like, you know, uh, Sons of Elrond, Sindar, Gandalf, working with the hobbits. I mean, there's, there's, there's sort of whole sort of plot lines that we could do we could do that there. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think that's a good idea because it's like, you know, the fell winter, I think, is a key thing in the Shire history. And, and I think, you know, where else are we going to put it? Yeah. You know, this sets us up to be able to refer to it. Yeah. You know. Now, I mean, the, 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 a critical thing to keep in mind when planning frame stories, and this is something that, uh, um, that Mike just mentioned a, a little while back, um, we need to be cognizant of the fact that um, we uh, we need to be cognizant of the fact that we're we don't spoil events that we want to, I mean, when we, you know, as, as Mike said, we want to make sure that we don't spoil events that we want to do in detail in season 25 or whatever, you know, when, when we get there. And that's true. Um, which is one reason why, by the way, I don't see us sticking with an Aragorn frame for a long time. We're certainly not going to do um, the uh, uh, Thorongil stuff in the frame because we're saving that for a season. We're not going to, we're not going to waste that on a frame. Um, So that to me is sort of a classic example of something we are absolutely not going to waste on a frame. The fell winter though, again, it kind of strikes me as like, were we going to include that in a season? I mean, we probably could, but it's a pretty uneventful period in the history of middle earth. I mean, I can't see Generally us, speaking, yeah, yeah, I can't see us wanting True. to spend a whole huge, you know, like are we, would we even no, have right. a whole season on like that, that, you know, fairly uneventful second half of the third age, you know, maybe I don't necessarily think, and if we did, it would be, it would be, I mean, we would focus on Gondor and Arnor, right. And the Gondor and Arnor stories, but after the fall of Arnor and, and uh, you know, and Gondor is diminishing, um, after the death of the Arnor in Gondor, you know, how much more do we want again, before we get to, you know, the great years before we get to, to the Hobbit and stuff. So, you know, I don't think we would lose much by doing this, um, you know, by, no. by, by doing yeah. things that way. We just, we just won't make it a habit. Right. Exactly. Yeah. We'll try to, we'll try to be, well, again, I, again, I, I just think we have to be, uh, sort of aware of it, and then you know it'll be it'll be okay. <laughs> well, he's alive in Lotro. Oh, hey Arnor, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spoilers, um, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's right, hey, Arnor, yeah, 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 that's right, MIA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, anyhow, yeah. So, um, okay, so. So we like this idea. Now, uh, Nick's other, uh, the not objection, but caution that Nick was just offering, which is very sensible, Nick. Um, you know, he says, we're, um, we're now trying to get a lot of action packed into a fairly tight framework. And that's true. We do have to keep this in mind. I mean, uh, when I'm in, when we're inventing plot for the frame, we don't want to have the frame be too plot intensive. You know, last time we were in last season, we had the opposite problem, right? The problem we kept facing in the Arwen plot was we're like, okay, how do we, uh, 
how do we do the frame without just having people sitting around and talking in every single frame? <laughs> and now a different conversation between the same two people. Um, you know, as we were sort of talking about that as perhaps not the most gripping frame in the world. Um, but, uh, and, you know, now we might be setting us up for the contrary problem where, like, the, the you know, rising and falling action in the frame is, you know, threatening to, uh, to overtake the action in the main episodes. And obviously, you know, we do want to be... Um, you know, we do want to be cautious about that. Um, so, yeah. Um, okay. Cool. Um, all right. So anyway, um, let's, um, let's, uh, are we okay with that? Are we good with this, um, uh, are we good with this, uh, with this, with this change? So let's, let's think about how we, so I know Trish has to go now. Um, so, uh, let's, let's, um, let's move forward. So are you guys okay with my fell winter idea? Not too shocking to shift the date of the fell winter. I mean, I know there are very few people who are going to be like, but the fell winter didn't happen at that time. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there will be, but, um, uh, so the fell winter is okay. All right. Okay. So, so let me go back for, well, no, from here it's forward. Hang on. Okay. Um, let's review here the sort of the scope of the season with, with all the stuff that we've been talking about in mind. Let's go, but you know, so we need to identify the start and end point of the season. What will the story arc of the frame be? Um, recall the season three themes that we talked about last time, pride, uh, fall, fate, and ends and means decisions, right? Um, ends and means decisions seems like something we could do pretty well in, um, in the context of, uh, of, um, in the context of, of the Felwinter stuff. Um, pride, we can work on that, especially, especially Aragorn's pride. See, my other thought here is, um, my other thought here is that, well, this is a thought I had a long ago. I m- remember talking about this at some point during season two, is that with Aragorn as the central protagonist of season three uh, frame, um, we have Aragorn in the frame and Feanor within the story um, and showing sort of... Uh, uh, doing a kind of a parallel between Feanor and Aragorn... I think would be interesting. I don't want to, to belabor that, of course, um, but simply the, um, uh, simply the fact that, um, you think back to the fundamental principle that we've talked about so many times. I mean, in Tolkien, it's always the great who are at greatest risk of falling. Um, it's always those, you know, it's, it's always the sub creators, right? You know, those who have the most power are the ones that uh, are at greatest risk of falling. Um, and Aragorn is in that camp, right? Aragorn could fall. I mean, remember the, that one brief reference, right? In the Lord of the Rings, like what, you know, what a terrible Lord he could have been had he chosen, you know, to take up the ring. Um, yeah, he could have been, um, and uh, so, yeah, parallel but contrast, exactly, Marie. But I mean, but there needs to be, there needs to be some danger. I mean, he's a teenager, 
right? So having him be like over sure, over confident, over arrogant, uh, and you know, learn a hard lesson or two seems perfectly <laughs> in keeping with the idea that we want to we want to grow Aragorn up, right? Um, so as far as the the connecting with the themes, I think that we can we can we can sort of do that, and of course, fate. He's not going to fall, obviously, um, but um, but but you know the the pride and fall thing is 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 what I see with the with the parallel with uh, uh, with with Feanor. Um, the ends and means decisions can be something that we can work out. You know, we can we can see them confronted with. Uh, it, one of the things of having a little, a slightly more action focused frame is we can put them in situations where he has to make decisions uh, and hard decisions. So, you know, we can kind of uh, set up some of those uh, kinds of things. I agree, Zachary. Zachary says Aragorn should make mistakes, possibly perhaps costly ones to the people around him. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm, I, uh, Zachary, when you were just saying that, I was imagining actually a scene in which. Uh, maybe the first time Aragorn and Gandalf meet, Aragorn or Gandalf is in a towering rage at what Aragorn has done. Like the, their introduction is like Gandalf absolutely reaming him out, you know, for what he did, and and uh, and you know, I mean, obviously their relationship improves from there, but um, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's the kind of thing that I think would be really sort of fun. Um, and uh, yeah, Tony says I think we should emphasize that Aragorn had to earn his place at king. It's not as as king. It's not just given to him uh, because of his heritage. Uh, Feanor thought he was owed the kin- the kingship uh, after his father's death, regardless of his actions. That's a really neat contrast, Tony. And thinking of it in the kingship context, uh, because of course kingship. Remember, we ended with uh, Feanor and his crown at the end of season two. The kingship of Feanor. Uh, I, I agree that should be a a, a sort of well, not a sub-theme itself, but sort of one particular manifestation of the pride theme, right? Um, that, you know, Feanor is, is you know, we should have Feanor... It's, it's one of the ways in which his pride manifests itself. And um, one of the issues with Feanor throughout the season should be, and I think it's a very good reminder, Tony, it should be not just Feanor being a jerk, right? It's not just a question of whether Fanor makes objectively right moral decisions. It's also about Fanor being a bad king. Um, uh, and so I, I do think that that's something that we can, uh, um, that we can, that we should introduce. And that picks, and, and, and obviously Aragorn picks up very well uh, with that. Um, Phil, Philip, absolutely, yes. The, um, his fate is still hidden from him, right? Estelle doesn't know that he's meant to be a king. Um, so I agree. It's not a, it's it's not self-conscious on his part, but it's about leadership. It's about earning his... Remember, at the end of his growing up period, Elrond needs to be able to come to him at the beginning of season five and say, you know, you have arrived at a place where we're ready to take this next step. And, you know, there is a sense that you've, uh, you've, you've earned this, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's interesting, Phil. Phil is suggesting maybe we have some tension between the Dunedain and the acting chieftain, knowing that this kid will eventually take over. 
Or maybe they don't know who he is. That's a really interesting point, right? I mean, we talked about having him interacting with elves a lot, but he's got to interact with other Dúnedain as well, right? What's his relationship with the Dúnedain going to be? If he doesn't know his heritage, what does that mean? Surely he knows he's one of the Dúnedain, right? I mean, we have to make that, especially since his mom was so insistent on making sure that he knows that he's a, a man and, and one of the Dúnedain and not and not an elf, right? Um, so he can't be that ignorant his ignorance has to merely be that he doesn't know that he's the heir and the king. And if that's true, then he has to think that somebody else is the chieftain of the Dunedain, uh, in which case he, you know, does he meet him? Maybe we want to do that. Maybe we have that kind of, um, that kind of tension, right? Um, what's the other chief, who's the other chieftain and what's he going to think about the situation? He's got to be complicit, right? Um, but, uh, Anyway, so I, I, there's lots of stuff that we can, there's lots of potential that we can do there. Okay, I'm no longer worried about not finding enough stuff to include in, in the episodes for the frame, no question. Um, yeah, yeah. So, Tony, exactly. I would also think that some of the Dunedain know who he is, um, but probably not all, right? It would be easy enough uh, for them to have put out the story that, that you know, the heir had died, but of course, how is that going to, how are we, how are we going to keep that from totally demoralizing the Dunedain? You know, when the line of Alendil has remained unbroken father to son, oops, until now, right? So in your generation, guys, you know, the, the line has finally failed after, you know, almost 3000 years. So, um, how does that make you feel? Um, that's a big deal. And again, if we're going to do that, I mean, that's, that's why I'm talking about this stuff now, because, um, uh, um, uh, yeah, that's, that's why, uh, we're talking, oh, hang on a second. Uh, uh, I got you, Philip Boswell. Uh, he's looking for the, uh, the link there on the Twitch chat. I'll, I'll get you there. Um, yeah, cause this is, this, this has a huge, um, effect on the question of how do we handle, you know, the Dunedine in this, uh, in this season, um, so, yeah, yeah, I think that that's, that's, because are they going to be moral, you know, demoralized and dejected? Uh, they'd have to be if they think he's dead. If they don't think he's dead, are we going to imagine a conspiracy that extends to everybody in the Dunedain? Like, is, is Aragorn going to be the only one who doesn't know his heritage? Um, and of course, Maria is pointing out that this does give us an excellent opportunity to do a despair and hope thing, right? With Estelle meaning hope. Uh, yeah, yeah, hope and despair. I like that. I like that. In fact, Marie, that sounds like a an episode title, doesn't it? Uh, hope and you know, hope and despair. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. So absolutely, let's do that. Um, Tony says maybe they believe he's alive but don't know who he is. Um, his return to the Dunedain is the first is the first return of the king. That's exactly what I was just thinking, Tony. When he comes back as chieftain, that's going to be a plot line in season five, right? When he finds out who he is, he's going to. So it's not just going to be the whole frame doesn't have to be like you know sappy romance stuff with Arwen. We're also going to have him establishing himself as 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 chieftain, and that that should be at the beginning, um, I would think, of that season. Anyway, so uh, so yeah, so we're going to get a return of the king, right? The return of the of the you know, so the Dunedain, and it's going to be it's going to be awesome. Um, yeah, we should have somebody who is the acting chieftain, and Marielle, I think your uh, uh, your your suggestion is brilliant, Halberd. I think that's that's perfect. 
to make Halbert the acting chieftain. Um, I love that idea. We obviously we need a, a we need a, a, a guy, right? And choosing a choosing a a a, a known guy. Um, and Mario, I love the way that that plays off of his um, his role later on. Right. If, uh, you know, for Halbered to be like the standard banner of Aragorn, you know, at the Battle of Pelennor Field, um, it could be Halbered's dad, Marie. It's true. But I kind of if we do this, we, we can make Halbered a good deal older than Aragorn. That's OK. Right. Um, so, you know, have have Halbered be, you know, gray headed at the Battle of Pelennor Field. But I, but Mariel, that's that's a, I love. I, 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 OK, I, I'm, I'm falling in love with this concept, Mariel. Right. That Halbered um, was the chieftain. And so he's the one who like it sort of looks like he's usurping, right? When he comes back, everybody thinks he's the chieftain. So the act of Halberd to, you know, sort of step down and be like, I'm not the chieftain. I never was. I've only been like waiting for Aragorn to return. And so, you know, his devotion to Aragorn and the sort of the, the selflessness of his, you know, the opportunity that he has to try to, you know, to sort of seize or retain power, but his, his willingly stepping down from power and uh, supporting Aragorn, um, yeah, Marie. Exactly. We've got their We've got uh, you know a really solid foundation for a really deep relationship between Halberd and uh, Aragorn, and thus, of course, making it uh, uh, making it even more moving when Halberd finally dies at the, at the Battle of Pelennor Field. Absolutely, it's it's awesome. Love it. Love it. Um, Nick says he always imagined Halberd as being older. Yeah, I don't think I ever did. I always think I imagined him as like Aragorn's junior assistant, you know, but, um, but I think this is, I think that's, um, uh, I think that's, that's, that's lovely. Ooh. Yeah. Mike points out that he would sort of make a nice contrast to Denethor. Exactly. He's like the steward, the faithful steward, right? Uh, that, that would be, that would be Halberd's role. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, good. And Lydia just said exactly the same thing. A nice contrast with, with Denethor. So we set that up. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, cool. So, um, so yeah, I like it. I, I think that that, that works really well. So, all right. So we think about, so we should introduce Halberd, right? We can introduce Halberd as the chieftain, uh, and, you know, he can interact, you know, so we can have some, we can, uh, we can do some, we can do some scenes there. Oh man, there's so much to do. Um, but anyway, let me continue through my points there. So we're thinking about themes, and that's what led us onto all this stuff. How will this tie into the rebellion of the Noldor, the death of Theanor, and the introduction of the orcs and dwarves? Okay. How does it tie into the rebellion of the Noldor? So, so, and tell me any other major things that we need to parallel. I got the Helcaraxa covered, right? Fell winter, we're good. Um... Okay. Well, all right. Rebellion is easy enough, isn't it? Um, I mean, we are talking about a teenager, after all, right? Um, just because he's doing his growing up thing and traveling around with folks doesn't mean this has to be a sanctioned field trip. And I know that was part of the suggestion that you guys had from the message board. We're going to get to your specific suggestions, right? That basically he's, he's going off against the will of his mom or, 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 uh, um, or against the will of Elrond or both, right? Um, the idea of him. Okay. No, what could be easier than paralleling, a frame story about a teenage boy with 
the story of Feanor being like, here we are, uh, you know, we are hemmed in a narrow place and uh, the wide world is before us and we should go out into our birthright. And, you know, uh, the man is just trying to keep us down and keep us in our place. Right. I mean, there's there's all kind. I mean, that 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 writes itself, doesn't it? Um so all we would have to do is make Aragorn's initial departure from Rivendell a bit tumultuous, right? And have him feel like his mom is wanting to, like, raise him in a gilded cage, which she kind of is. And it's totally understandably, right? Um, so that's pretty easy. I think that's that's uh, that's kind of a gimme. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the death of Feanor... Um, with the death of Feanor, um, yeah, uh, so, um, uh, oh, sorry, so Phil Boswell in the Twitch chat, um, there, if you're in, if you get into GoToWebinar, there's a questions box, type into the questions box and, and I'll see what you say there. I can also see you in Twitch chat, so that's also fine. But, um, okay. Um, where was I? Death of Fanor. The death of Fanor. What is the story of the death of Fanor? The story of the death of Fanor is Fanor's terminal overconfidence, right? Um, he believes he has already won remember, and he is, like, charging to, you know, he's like, okay, we have them on the run, let's just, like, go straight to Angband and defeat Morgoth and reclaim the Silmarils right now, you know, he thinks he's gonna, he thinks he's gonna get this all done, you know, uh, in a long weekend, um, and, the, and you know, in, in doing, his rashness exposes him and he dies, um, so yeah, a really rash decision on, on Aragorn's part would be a logical setup, um, uh, we can have him, he doesn't have to, of course, actually die, right? But but we talked about him making some costly mistakes. He makes a costly mistake due to his rashness, right? Um, and again, that's where we can see the 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 parallel, but, but again, the contrast with Aragorn as he, unlike Fanor, learns his lesson. Um, yeah, Tony says, the death of Fanor has to do with recklessness and bad leadership. Uh, he not only got himself killed, but nearly led his people into a massacre. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So the, those are the things that we see with uh, with Aragorn there. Um, uh, yeah. I'm not sure if uh, Philip uh, Menzies is wondering if we can do sort of a parallel with the death of Arathorn. Things, I think we already did the death of Arathorn. So I think if we if we come back to that again... Um, if we're going to do a parallel, I mean, if we want to go historical, I would think that, um, Arathorn's dad would be the one that we could do there, but then we're getting a frame in within the frame and a flashback within the flashback. And I think that that might be one recollection, uh, too many. Um, but, um, but anyway, yeah, I, so I, I think that that parallel we can, we can establish now general question. I want to see what you guys think about this. How closely do we have to sync them? That is to say, his rash decision, does it have to be at the same time as the death of Fanor? Do we need to, do we need to have them coincide in that way? Um, I'm not... Uh, I'm just wondering if 
there are ways in which we can use the frame narrative not as a sort of a lockstep parallel thematically or, you know, in that way, but if we can have it be... So, for instance, we could have... A, the you know since the death of Fanor happens not quite at the end of the season but near the end of season three, if we could have the rash decision of Aragorn be earlier on in the season frame, so that it is anticipating and foreshadowing. Um, so we, I'm just kind of you know there are things that we could kind of play with there instead of just always making them line up directly. Um, the introduction of the orcs and the dwarves. Well, the dwarves, with the dwarves thing, we get, you know, alliances and working together. And we have, especially in the fell winter context, we get plenty of that, right? Uh, plenty, poss- plenty of possibilities for uh, forging alliances, which might perhaps be uncomfortable um, and, uh, and, and making, you know, means and ends related, uh, uh, related questions. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Tony is suggesting if his first meeting with Gandalf is t- is uh, contentious, we can use that meeting to tell Aragorn the story of Feanor's death. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it, again, that the Feanor's death story could follow could follow later, you know, uh, 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 from it, and possibly not not even immediately afterwards. Um, yeah, yeah. And Mariel, I agree. You know, she says we can have it earlier, but then we should have a second instance where he makes the right decision, uh, you know, sort of closer to so that we keep the frame and narrative and dialogue. Yeah, yeah, we can we can kind of balance that. Um, okay, okay. Um, yeah. All right. Um, so no, I think that can work. Thinking of, I, I don't see a clear parallel to the dwarves. Unless it's dwarves. <laughs> I mean, we do have dwarves around, right? We have dwarves in the Blue Mountains. We could actually bring them in if we wanted to. Um, uh, but, um, yeah. <laughs> Mike says he kind of loves the idea of uh, Aragorn doing the opposite of Feanor at every step. Yeah, I don't think we can do it at every step, or else we're not going to really be able to establish the parallel at all, unless we just kind of put them in parallel situations and, saw, and see Feanor screwing up and, and Aragorn... Uh, uh, doing it right. I mean, obviously, if we we can't do that in too binary a way, or else it's uh, um, uh, it's it's uh, you know it will become oversimplistic. But um, but certainly, you know, the parallel but contrast is something we're definitely going to want to do. Uh, Mariel is asking: Is uh, isn't culture shock enough? For, you know, for the parallel of the dwarves, right? So you know, uh, Aragorn having various kind of culture shock moments as he's out, um, and having that parallel with the like, hey, look, it's the uh, the stunted people. Um, you know, maybe, maybe, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, that's interesting. Uh, Mariel is suggesting perhaps the, uh, you know, the sort of the transient Dunedain, you know, the ranger population uh, might be as stunning to him as uh, as the dwarves are to the elves. Um, that's actually really interesting, Mariel, uh, because, of course, the Dunedain are not going to... He's used to comfort, right? I mean, he's grown up in Rivendell. Um, you know, that the, the, how rough the Dunedain live... Um, this is something I've talked about this in, in some of my other sessions, but in particular, doing the Return of the Shadow and the Treason of Isengard, especially the first two Treason of Isengard passages um, or chapters, se- sessions, our first two sessions on the first four chapters uh, of the Treason of Isengard. Um, 
it's been really reinforcing to me the full implications of the word ranger, right? It's implicit all the way through the Fellowship of the Ring when it's used. You know, like when Frodo says, I thought he was only a ranger, right? Um, I think my own reading of those of those passages when I was younger, you know, in my early years with the Lord of the Rings was too much influenced by the fact that I played Dungeons and Dragons as well, right? So the word ranger meant to me like the character class from D&D, right? So I didn't, I never really, I was, I was, a, I was a little bit deaf to the, the, the social class implications, right? So, you know, when, uh, when, you know, Butterbur says he's one of them rangers, right? Uh, you know, and when Frodo says, I thought he was only a ranger, um, you know, they're talking about like, you know, gypsies, transients, homeless people, right? Uh, I mean, that's what, that's what ranger means. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, rootless vagabonds, that's, that's what it means to be a ranger. Um, exactly, Marielle, you were just saying exactly the same thing. Exactly. Um, so that's the definition of the word ranger. That's what that term uh, not only just implies, but denotes um, within the content, within the Breland context. Um, so, yeah, so Marie, I, or, or Marielle, sorry, I like that idea of having uh, his encounter with them be a kind of, because does he look down on them? He might look down on them. Uh, as we know, many of the elves are going to be looking down on the dwarves. Well, they literally look down on them, right? Uh, but uh, but you know what I mean, right? Um, so, uh, so I like that. I like that. Um, ooh, that's an interesting idea, Robert. Um, Robert Brown is coming back to our, the suggestion about Tharbad, right? How Tharbad down in the Grey Flood is, is destroyed in the floods, which of course could easily follow from, uh, you know, be part of the Fell Winter experience and follow from maybe the thaws at the end of the Fell Winter or something. Um, or, or I don't know, maybe they come before or whatever. But um, uh, the um, Robert's suggestion is maybe Tharbad is the last settlement of the Dunedain and it's destroyed, right? Or maybe, Robert, I'm thinking maybe that's just recently happened, right? Maybe we don't need to do the floods and the winter in the same frame, but maybe the floods have recently occurred. And so it's, 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 it's very fresh, right? So he meets them and they're not always wandering around. They had, you know, a stronghold and settlement down at Tharbad, but that's now been destroyed. Um, and so now they're all just wandering and itinerant, um, yeah, no, I like that. Mario, the more I think about this, I love that parallel between the finding of the dwarves and his meeting with the Dunedine. I love it because it's it's kind of, it makes sense, you know, as you work through it, but it's really counterintuitive at first. Like here, here he is meeting his own people, right? The people of whom he is going to be the king, though he doesn't know that, though the viewers probably do, right? Um, and yet his reaction to them is like the elves' reaction to the dwarves. That's kind of, that's kind of, that's kind of lovely. I really like that. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see. Sorry, I missed that before. Uh, Maria suggesting that uh, Eladon becomes the Feanor parallel when Aragorn starts making good choices. Uh, yeah, well, you know, somebody's got to be somebody's got to be the uh, the fall guy there, Marie. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Brianna says that uh, uh, for her, when she read The Fellowship of the Ring at age 11, uh, she associated rangers just with like, uh, you know, the the uh, the 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 national parks, <laughs> you know, department. Um, yeah. Well, see, there you go. Exactly. Uh, that, that doesn't help much either, does it? Um, 
so yeah yeah um yeah cool um all right so uh Yeah, that's interesting. You know, Mike says that, you know, doing some things this way, thinking about this, it almost turns the procedure on its head, he says. The main story will flesh out the very brief encounter in the frame. Um, uh, It might just be a glance or an expression on Aragorn that's fleshed out by the narrative of the elves and dwarves. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, the whole point is to have them kind of in dialogue and to be, you know, to, to, to parallel them in ways which expands ideas that are sort of implicit but not expanded within those other stories. So, like, for instance, with the Arwen frame, her active contemplation of the question, where do elves belong? You know, are we meant to be here in Middle-earth? Are we meant to be in the West? Are we, you know, like, shirking if we stay here in Middle-earth when we really should be going in? I mean, are we just, like, you know, playing hooky in Middle-earth when we should be going back into the West? Or is it the other way around, right? Are we... Abdicating, you know, are we, uh, are we, are, are we make, are we like, um, you know, shirking our duties in a cowardly way by going into the West and not, not doing our thing here? Um, for Arwen, that's the active question. Um, but of course, then as we went through season two, especially the first half of season two, that question is, you know, is, is worked out in a different way and in a totally different context as they're being called to Valinor and some are making the decision to stay behind and others are, uh, others are choosing to go on. Um, so Mike, that's exactly kind of how we have them sort of in relationship. We have the opportunity to do some different, uh, kinds of things, uh, in the season three frame because it's more action focused. So we can, uh, sort of parallel events. And I hope, I would hope put them into a kind of, um, a kind of implicit dialogue, which could bring out some really interesting elements. Um, I mean, Mike, even this example, right? Um, his reaction to the rangers, let's just call them that for the sake of emphasizing what we're talking about. Um, Aragorn's reaction to the rangers would be, um, uh, would certainly, would be very different, right? So whereas with the elves and dwarves, we're talking about like seeing something that is alien, right? Um, and so the sort of the primary issue with the elves and dwarves seems to be like encountering the other, right? And, and, and sort of learning to cope with the other. Well, Aragorn's encountering the other too, but it's not other, right? They are the same. They are his people. He is, he is really, and he will know that, right? He knows he's from them. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know that he's their king, but he, he knows that he's of them, right? Um, so when it happens to Aragorn, he's not seeing different, he's seeing same. And yet he has that same reaction, like, they are not like me and I'm uncomfortable with that. So the way in which those two situations um, create sort of like parallel feelings of discomfort and unease, and yet the situations themselves are so contrasted, right? Again, it's about the other versus the same. Uh, that is that's cool. I mean that 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 really enables them to be in uh, to be in 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 conversation uh, in some really really interesting ways. I think. Um, so uh, yeah, me Tarzan you Jane <laughs> says says Brianna yeah yeah um, no exactly there are all kinds of, of really interesting ways in which they in which they uh, those two storylines could so Marielle that's a brilliant suggestion that is an absolutely that is some brilliant thinking Marielle and I I completely love that idea now the more I've thought about it um okay okay so 
so let's think. Um, <laughs> yeah, Tony, Tony says so. The Dunedain don't just hang out in Esteldean like like in Lotro. Yeah, yeah. No, um, I think we can't. Um, though Tony, I would not object to having um, uh, having uh, uh, showing some Dunedain sitting by campfires. You know, just on principle, uh, as an inside joke. Uh, yeah, no, that's not that's not all that they do. Clearly, um, okay. We are. Well, we're not out of time yet because we started late. I have a little bit. Of, we have a little bit of time, but we should definitely set ourselves to trying to map this out a little bit. Um, we have a, um, on the discussion board. We have some uh, uh, suggested beginnings, um, but I think we saw. So, yeah, we okay. Yeah, here are suggestions from the message board for episode ideas. Um, all right. Uh, okay. So let's read through these. Establishing Estelle's feeling of being kept in Rivendell against his will or being constrained. Hey, look, you had the same idea that I did. Possible conflicts with Gilrain and or Elrond. I say and, right? Uh, like Gilrain and Elrond are both, you know, there's still like a little bit of tension there. And he's in tension with both of them, right? He's, 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 he's fed up with a lot. I mean, the danger with Aragorn, he's got to be kind of spoiled at the beginning. He's got to be. Because he's been sheltered. He's been and and like his, uh, how old is he? Okay, Marie, good question. How old is Aragorn at the beginning? Um, he was what ten, sixteen. Tony, that sounds <clears throat> that sounds right to me. Um, sixteen would be particularly young, and of course, it's going to seem ludicrously young to the elves. Because remember, remember one of the things we have to keep coming back to with um with the elves is th- like human psychology and development is alien to them. They don't get it. Um, I would think, <clears throat> I would think that um, one of the problems, one of the things that drives Aragorn, uh, you know, off his nut in Rivendell as a teenage boy is the fact that all of the elves treat him like he's still five. Right. Because if he were an elf, he like would be still five, essentially. Right. You know, they don't understand. He sees himself as he's practically a man. Right. You know, he's feeling like, you know, I deserve I deserve to be treated as, you know, he feels like all 16 year olds do. Like I deserve to be treated as an adult. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty much an adult now. And the elves completely don't comprehend this. Right. They don't get it at all. And they just are like. Uh, because to them it's not even on the table. It's not even a question of like, well, you've not quite earned that level of respect, son. You you can't expect us just to... Like, it's not it's not that at all, right? The, they live in a different world, right? They, they're in a different universe, and in their universe, um, he's, he's a baby. Um, it doesn't... It wouldn't even occur to them to... Uh, um, uh, to... to um, Exactly, Marie. Elves aren't adults, and they're not treated as adults until they're like fifty. So, exactly, exactly. Um, I don't think we can make him too much younger, um, but I don't want him to be too much older either, because it should be. I think sixteen is probably good, because on the one hand, he's not right. You know, that is like when he says, "Like I'm an adult," he's not really an adult, right? That's him being uh, rash and presumptuous and. Um, uh, and uh, arrogant, 
right? Um, he's not ready yet. He's not, in fact, full-grown. But if we make him much younger, then the elves look right, right? They should be wrong also. Um, neither the way the elves treat him, nor the way that he looks at himself, nor the way that his mother treats him. Like, none of these things should be quite right at the beginning uh, of, the, of the season. And by golly, isn't that kind of like the situation with the elves and the Valar uh, over in Valinor? Um, the Val- Valar were not quite right to bring them over you know, in the first place. And uh, maybe, you know, again, that's one of the things about the Oath of Fanor and the whole, you know, the speech of Fanor by Torchlight that he needs to deliver in episode one. Um, The, the, um, we, he's not completely wrong, right? He's way out of line, but he's not completely wrong. Um, And that's, of course, been the thing about what, um, what what Melkor said from the beginning, you know, the stuff that Melkor said from the beginning. Um, so, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, Marie points out that half-elves age at the same rate as mortals, so Eladon and Elro here will, were full-grown at 20. Yeah, but that was a heck of a long time ago, Marie. Um, and, you know, they've uh, they've adopted the elvish point of view at this point. I mean, they've learned the Elvish point of view. Um, they've embraced the Elvish life and they have... Uh, um, uh, so, yeah, I, I, I agree. It is definitely worth mentioning, Marie, uh, to kind of keep in mind. Maybe he can even appeal to them, right, at some point. Um, and, you know, and, and, and acknowledge like, like you know, dude, you're not like the rest of them, right? Like, I get that Glorfindel doesn't get it, right? Glorfindel's been around for millennia. Uh, like, I don't expect... I don't expect Warfindle to get me, right? But you should get me, Eladon and Elro here. Like, I, I could see that kind of conversation coming up. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, right, so Marielle points out the logical extension to that, of course, is that the elves of Rivendell have seen this twice before compared to how many, uh, uh, how many other times, uh, how many times kids have been born there. Um, yes, they have, but... Um, uh, I still don't think that they understand. I mean, think of how many... Uh, yeah, I, I think it's still... The, the human perspective is so alien to them that they just don't... They don't get it. They don't... They don't even if they've seen it before, they still don't grok it. Uh, so that, I think, is... <clears throat> um, uh, st- still can be a very legitimate um, objection that Aragorn has. So... And I said, he. I think it's okay for him to be a bit of a twit at the beginning. I mean, so here I am, like last season, I was like, hey, let's make let's make uh, let's make Fingolfin a twit, and now I'm like, hey, let's make Aragorn a twit. But again, he's got to be spoiled. He's got to be. Um, as Nick was just saying, here we go again, right? Yeah, yeah. No, um, he's he's got to be. Because um, he's sheltered, you know, he's living this sheltered life. I mean, I think that's got to be Gilrein's. Um, weakness as a parent is, you know, sheltering him from uh, harm, right? So she 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 can't let him out all that much. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I think... Um, yeah, Lydia is asking... Is the fostering of heirs at Rivendell something conjectured or something Tolkien included somewhere? Um, 
No, I think that the sheltering of Gilrein and Aragorn was unique. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, when does Gilrein die? Later. <laughs> Later. After season five. After uh, after Arwen. Um, uh, during, yeah, I don't remember the date exactly, but it's in, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's after that. So we're still, we're, we don't, we, we don't have to kill Gilrein off yet. Um, we still have some time. So, um, yeah, exactly, Mariel. Mariel points out the troll shaws are dangerous, right? So it's not like he can stretch his feet on local day trips. No, no day trips. I, I, I think it's important. He should never have left Rivendell before. He has lived his entire life that he remembers, right, since he was two, in Rivendell. He has never left the valley, and it's got to start feeling like a cage, right? And his mom wants to keep him in the cage because she wants to keep him safe, and she knows it's dangerous, and, uh, you know, so absolutely. Um, that's... Um, yeah, it's after it's after Thorongil. Yeah, I'm, I, I think I think so. Yep, yep, yeah, exactly. Um, yep. So I agree, Marie. She'll die in a season, not in the frame. Yep, yep, absolutely. Easy enough. Third age, three thousand and seven. Yeah, quite late. So yep, no problem. No, no problem. Um. Yeah, yeah. Um. Good, and Mike is pointing out how he's beginning to sound more and more like second-generation Noldor who have never left Valinor. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, like Feanor. Exactly. Yeah. Parallel to Feanor from the beginning. So, yeah. So, okay. So, episode one is easy, right? Rebellious, discontented, spoiled, and constrained, and disrespected 16-year-old teenage Aragorn uh, rebels and leaves. Um... And I again, I think he's rebelling against both. I think I think he's he's conflicted with both Gilrein and with Elrond, and he goes off. Uh, he is hemmed in a, in a narrow place, literally, Tony, right, because of the valleys. So yeah, absolutely. Um, and he takes off. Does he take off with the twins? I don't think he takes off with the twins. I think I agree with the suggestion from the message board. Look at you guys anticipating my every thought. Um, he runs away, gets lost, or hurts himself, and the twins are sent to find him and do so. Yes, the twins catch up with him. Um, and then we get, like, the confrontation with the twins, and that's when we can get the, like, you should get me, why don't you guys get me, you, like, at least were, you know, had this absolutely right. Most of this is Hakan. Marie, Hakan is so good with this stuff. I love Hakan's uh, 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 lists and summaries and things. Um, yeah, that's great. Okay, no, so I, I agree. That sounds That sounds fine. Uh, okay, as the White Council shall meet in Rivendell. Okay, so, oh, right, the White Council threat. Okay, so let me just read this through and stop commenting on every single one. As the White Council shall meet in Rivendell, Elrond wants Estelle out of the way for various reasons. The twins take him on a field trip. Ultimately, they encounter orcs. Okay, so, well, I say they don't take him on a field trip. Okay, I said I wasn't going to comment. Never mind. Okay, continuing on. Continuing the field trip, Estelle and the twins meet some Dunedain, and Estelle learns something about their ways. Okay, right, got that, right, that dwarf parallel. Loving it. Another encounter with orcs, this time with the Dunedain to help, right? Okay, no shortage of action sequences. Now, obviously, the my uh, my fell winter suggestion isn't included, obviously, in these suggestions from prior to, to this, um, but we can we can we can we can work that in. Um, Mike points out that we we should uh, draw attention to the fact that Estelle leaves his refuge uh, slash prison without murdering his relatives. I agree. I think that's an important point, Mike. Uh, um, though it does suggest a question, doesn't it? 
what do we want to do with the kinslaying? I don't necessarily think that we need to make a, a direct parallel to the kinslaying, you know, without like Aragorn actually being guilty of murder, but um, uh, here's where I think maybe we do it the other way around. Here's what I mean by the other way around. Earlier on, when talking about the death of Feanor, I was suggesting we have um, Aragorn have his death of Feanor moment, right? His moment of uh, great rashness and poor leadership, which leads to disastrous consequences earlier in the season, and then have that be, you know, sort of echoed and to see sort of the later, you know, so to have that resonance be a foreshadowing thing from earlier in the season in the frame. With a kinslaying, we could do it the other way around. We have a kinslaying early in the season, and nothing quite parallel to that. But we can give Aragorn a kinslaying moment later on, where he's confronted with a similar kind of paradigm. Um, and again, there I would want to pick up on probably like the ends and means element of the kinslaying, um, so that you know we have we have contrasting there. Um, yeah, Marie says the kinsling happens because two stubborn people would rather fight to the death to the death than compromise and help each other. Having that kind of parallel there with the kinslaying, um, yeah, that's why I'm thinking we do that later on. We do that in the context of the fell winter and like the handling of the crisis later on, um, so that um, uh, so that we can see the parallel backwards, right? How the you know the kinslaying. Uh, it, it picks up on the ideas from the kinslaying, and we see Aragorn. In the end, he's going to make the contrasting decision, right? He's not going to go the kinslaying direction. He's going to he's going to go away from it. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, Mariel wonders if we should give Estelle a Dunedain rival a boy his age who thinks he's soft and they have to work together. Yeah, I mean, Mariel, before we started, before your brilliant Halbered suggestion, my first thought was, like, what if the chieftain of the Dunedain kind of resents it, right? You know, what if, like, the guy who is in power right now knows the secret but is disgruntled or just dislikes Aragorn, right? It's like, you know, he's sitting there like, okay, I'm like the chieftain while, like, our noble chieftain, the son of my old friend Arathorn, is off, like being raised and protected and that's great and I can't wait till he comes back and then he's like seriously like you know this wet behind the ears mama's boy is uh, uh, is is uh, is the you know so I was thinking about that um, I I mean, maybe we could do that if we just wanted Halberd not to be, like, totally awesome from the beginning. Halberd could have, like, a conversion experience and become his supporter. Uh, um, it could be Halberd's son. Yeah, Phil. Phil Boswell suggests it could be Halberd's son um, so that we do have, like, two contemporaries. If Halberd is more, was, like, a contemporary of... Of, of Arathorn's, right? He was he was a, a friend of Arathorn's, um, maybe younger than Arathorn, but still, um, you know, contemporary with him. Um, yeah, Mariel says he'd, she'd rather have Halbered be an example, not a rival. Yeah, I'm um, even me and my passion for uh, making characters everybody loves uh, uh, into annoying jerks um, <laughs> is. Uh, 
uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitating from that. What if Halberd's what if Halberd's uh, son dies? <laughs> what if Halberd's son dies? Um, <laughs> Marie says, and with what I can only take, Marie, to be a tone of incredulity uh, in your question, you draw the line at Halberd? <laughs> Well, okay. Right. I'm willing to go as far as Fingolfin, but Halbered, no. Um, we talked about disastrous decisions, right? You know, we talked about there being real consequences, about him making mistakes that really matter. Um, um, but yeah, so like the idea, exactly as Mike is suggesting, if we've got Halbered grieving for the death of his son still on board with Chieftain, you know, now we can see Halbered now has like a long, long list of reasons um, to go rogue, right? To resist Aragorn. And he still doesn't? Like, that makes Halberd like quadruple awesome, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that like we could be, uh, um, it's not like he has to kill Halberd's son or he has to like do something which like really directly leads to his death. But he could lead them into a rash battle in in which Halberd's son dies. You know, so one of those situations where it's his responsibility as a leader, like it's on him that they were there, and therefore it's his fault that Halberd dies. But it's not exactly like you know he got him killed in a very direct way. Um, but that's some, so that is something that I think that Halberd could still plausibly forgive. But it would be a big deal that he. Uh, um, Phil asks, does it have to be Aragorn that does something rash? Yeah. Uh-huh. No, I, I, I think it should be. I think it should be. I think, well, not only because it fits the character and his... No, that's the main reason. Um, well, the one reason is that, again, I kind of want to do the, the Aragorn fan or parallel, but the other reason is that, again, this is about fa- Aragorn growing up. I mean, Aragorn growing up is, is one of the major things that we're doing in this plotline. Um, and so I think having him make a, at least one really significant mistake is something that... Uh, um, that we need to uh, have have him do. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tony says we should make Halberd's son die, like in this rash, rash action, have Halberd's son die defending Aragorn, and thus Aragorn has to carry the survivor's guilt too. Uh, sure, yeah, I love it. Absolutely. Um, um, yep, yep. Exactly. As Nick says, you know, you only become great by making mistakes, right? So if it's not him who does this, how do we get to awesome Aragorn of the Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah, you can't. Exactly. We've got a, you've got a, which of course, Nick, was my whole argument with Fingolfin in the first place, right? You know, all the grief you guys have given me about making Fingolfin, uh, you know, about diminishing Fingolfin. That was the point. Anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. All right. Mariel has an idea. Halberd's son dares Estelle to do something dangerous. Estelle gives into pride and goes. Right. Mariel is part of the whole like, hey, well, you know, aren't you a little mama's boy? And if you're not a little mama's boy, you know, so like basically Aragorn's desire to prove himself. Right. I'm not the little mama's boy that you take me for. Um, and uh, so to have that Halberd's because Halberd's son is a great proxy for that desire of Halberd's. Right. You know, uh, Halberd's son would be the perfect place. To, ha- to manifest that, like, basically Boromir's issue, 
right? Like that it long bothered him that his father was not a king, right? Um, uh, it, it, it can bother Halberd's son too, who thinks his dad should be chieftain. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I can see that. I can see that 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 and 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 that you know it it reduces um it reduces the um um the soul like it 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 doesn't make it totally Aragorn it's like not not it's like Aragorn like his blood is really on Aragorn's hands um but it is still Aragorn's decision to do it I mean I don't know that I would necessarily want Halberd's Halberd Jr. to be um directly like like you know I dare you to do this and then, because then it's it's really his own fault I re- I I want the responsibility the the responsibility to lie a little bit more um with um uh with um with Aragorn than with Halberd Jr. I don't want to have it rest entirely on him um but it still could be basically Aragorn responding to taunts by Halberd Jr. Um, and feeling that desire to to um, uh, prove himself, basically. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, Phil uh, Boswell, your questions are coming through. I can't always get to every question, so I might have skipped over some of them. But yeah, I do. Um, I do. I do. Uh, yeah. Like I just responded to you. Does it have to be Aragorn? acting rash question. So yeah. Yeah, you're 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 coming through. Um Yeah. Yeah. Um okay. All right. But here I look, I did it again. I see I meant to read it all the way through. I'm obviously incapable of doing that. Let's keep going. Okay, back at Rivendell, Estelle finds that his mother isn't at all pleased with his field trip. I don't think we I don't I don't, I don't think we send him back um until the end. Right? We probably have to bring him back to Gilrein by the end. We have to reconcile that issue by the end of the season, I think. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I have to think about how that fits into the arc. But anyway, okay. <clears throat> right. Uh, okay. Noldante in the Hall of Fire. I think we got way too many action scenes for a Hall of Fire episode at this point now with the Fell Winter and stuff. Um, Eladin's darkness is brought out by a reveal of something he did. Um, and Elroy here and Glorfindel disapprove. Um, yeah, Marie, Gilrine is a minor character in this frame. I think she only comes in at the beginning and the end. And then maybe we get a, like, meanwhile, back in Rivendell. Gilrine is really worried. <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't think we can do much more other than that. Um, uh, ooh, hang on, Nick. Let me come back to that for a second. Okay, because we're almost there. Let's see. Oh, so the Eladon and Elro here and developing... El- El- Eladon and Elro here will be involved in the Fell Winter action, and so we can bring out, like, the... You know, we can have, like, an Eladon goes off his meds you know, moment if we want, like again to do like the differentiation and that temptation to darkness that we have talked about with El- and that we the thing that we did in season two, which was kind of fun. Um, yeah, I think that that's really um, uh, there's 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 plenty of potential uh, for doing this kind of thing there. Aha, um, uh-huh. right, Marie says Eladon is a thing with revenge. This is the ship burning episode. Yeah, sure, sure. Um Yeah, um 
Yeah. Um, okay, okay. Let, let, let me keep going here. Okay. Um, and then we have another trip out. Oh, the broken sword. Yeah, okay. So here, Nick, we're getting to the broken sword now. So uh, Nick was saying we, we, we need to remember the broken sword moment because we're going to... We, 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 we remember uh, <clears throat> uh, Gorfindel's sword being broken. We, we were going to break Fingolfin's sword in episode two during Kinslaying, right? And then have it reforged as Ringo later on. Uh... I don't think I don't think we need to literally I mean <clears throat> it's true that we have the broken sword I don't think we need to literally bring in the other the other broken sword here's 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 why I think that two two reasons why I think that first of all I think that we can parallel the concept of the broken sword without having to bring in a literal broken sword in both the frame and in the and in the 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 main story the other thing is Aragorn, <clears throat> Fingolfin's broken sword is a new thing, right? Aragorn's broken sword is very famous, right? And it's a it's a really important element of his character. It's like a, a very important established element of his character. Um, there are ways in which, um, there are ways in which the broken sword is already kind of implicit in Aragorn's whole character. I mean, we could even develop it, Nick. I mean, I'm kind of thinking. Um, we could even have a little broken sword motif, you know, that kind of comes up around Aragorn. You know, um, Aragorn as like the broken, okay, like the parallel, right? The parallel between the reforging of Narsil into Anduril and Aragorn's growing up process, right? I mean, he is being forged. He is being tempered, uh, you know, by his experiences in his growing up process. Um, he is going to be the flame of the West by the time he comes to his adult life, right? Like his career from Arwen onwards, right? From season five onwards, this is like El, uh, uh, Aragorn as Anduril, right? Um, but to have, so to have him as 16-year-old Aragorn basically be Narso, right? The broken sword, with the lineage, but without the power. Um, you know, and with the potential and all that stuff. So, um, I think that we can play with that in some really fun ways, so that he himself is the parallel. And we can totally, um, we can totally put... Wait, Nick, why do you have Esto running away in episode two? What's going what's gonna to happen in episode one? We're just going to be upset in episode one, right? We just have him storming around and he doesn't leave until episode two? It's possible. We could do that. Um, um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. You're referring to what's written here. Yeah. No, I don't, I, I, I don't, I, that's actually not even how I was thinking that. I was thinking he leaves in episode one and episode two is like him running away, right? Like that is, he is in the act of running. He has left and he is like going places, right? So, uh, that's, that's what, that's maybe not what was intended, uh, uh, by Hakan and the others who were collaborating on this. That's what I was, that's what was in my mind when I was, uh, when I was reading that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, uh, yeah, Phil Boswell. I was thinking we could have, you know, maybe some other. Again, like let's make swords breaking, you know, into like at least a sort of a visual motif of this uh, of this season. Like that would really kind of work. That'd be fun. Um, 
Yeah, so we should see the sword in episode one or episode two. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's see the sword. Um, no problems with that. Um, okay, uh, sorry, go, let's keep going. Okay, so uh, Esto should make another field trip. Maybe the second one should be more adventurous. Oh, yeah, well, no, I, I think we have one trip. Um, um, meeting some dwarves. He could meet dwarves. But again, we've got that. see that how the, um, the Fell Winter plot gives us action all the way through. So we've got one trip. And so culminating the White Council. So do we just... I like the White Council thing, by the way. And I think it's really fun. The, uh, the Gandalf and Saruman smoking confrontation is so much fun. We absolutely have to do that sometime or other. If we don't do this in this season, we should do it in the next season. What if we save it? What if we save the White Council for season four? Um, and Bilbo can be kind of on the fringes of that um, in his traveling around. I kind of like that um, because we may need some action uh, for Bilbo to have because if we're going to do the fell winter here, yeah. Yeah, so I, I say let's, let's save the council plot because we, we can get Gandalf and we don't need an excuse to bring Gandalf in if we've got the fell winter going on. So... Um, uh, so yeah, the Shire is not a very action-packed place. Not other than during the Fell Winter. So if we're going to do the Fell Winter now, we've kind of blown our Shire action wad for the whole rest of the frame, essentially, until the scouring of the Shire. So yeah, that's kind of that's kind of it. Wolves, exactly, Nick. Lots of wolves. That's what that's what we got to get used to. And and I think it's totally it's obviously the wolves that uh, that rip apart Halberd Jr. and Aragorn can't save him. I think that's that's. Uh, uh, that's what happens there. Um, yep, yep. Um, okay, so I think that uh, um, should he meet dwarves? I'm not so okay. For it. In general, I'm not worried about dwarves. I think we could, we could, we could, we could, we could include or not include dwarves. I, I find dwarves non-essential because the role of meeting dwarves. I assume that meeting dwarves was brought in here in order to parallel the issues with the dwarves uh, in season four. But I think that Marielle's suggestion of having his relationship with the Dunedain be the one that plays off the relationship with the dwarves. I think that is a way cooler and more subtle idea, and I love, love, love that. Um, but. Um, Anyway, so, uh, so, so we could, uh, there could still be, a, you know, when, when like in order to try to help protect the Shire and to stem the flow of, of the, the wolves, and we can totally have orcs along with them as well invading from the north. It doesn't have to be a wolf-only army. Um, you know, we can do a, we can do a, a, a wolf-orc thing or uh, whatever. We could do a wolf, uh, you know, uh, uh, human thick trolls, sure, yeah, no, we can bring in we can bring in as many enemies as we need, I think, for this because the, you know, just because the the wolves are the only ones that get into the Shire, right? What we know is that during the fell winter, the wolves invaded the Shire over the frozen brandywine. That happens, right? So that's our framework, but that just means they're the ones that got through, right? Like the trolls and orcs and and uh, you know savage Northmen or whatever. Um, 
all get stopped, right? So they succeed in preventing them from getting as far as the Shire, but some wolves get through. So that's that's fine. So and in the Shire, this seems like the apocalypse, right? But uh, in the big picture, they 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 have even though they are enduring difficult times with the fell winter um, already, and then the wolves come in, and that's a really big deal. Um, they don't realize even in that moment how sheltered they are, and so I think that that kind of works. Um, corrupted walruses, says Robert Brown. I, I, war walruses. Yeah, it should happen. Why shouldn't it happen? Um, yeah, yeah. So okay. Um, uh, I think that that. I think that that. I think that that works. So let me think about some episode details. So, okay, so one of your assignments for next time, I'm going to want to review what's, we're, we're, we're going to need a new list, right? A new list of, uh, um, the 13 episodes for the frame, um, based on all of the ideas that we're throwing out here. I'm not going to have time to write all those out here today. Um, but we have lots and lots of material, right? So let me go over some more material that, um, uh, that I think we, we need to do. Tony Mead wants Aragorn's first trip to the Prancing Pony. Uh, that has some potential, doesn't it? Um, yeah. How old is Butterbur? Let's see. We're talking about it's six years after the Battle of Five Armies. Um... Yeah, it's 60 years before. We couldn't make him. Yeah, at best he'd be an infant, yeah. Well, that would be a fun cameo, though, wouldn't it, Nick? To have, like, uh, some, like, two-year-old, you know, running around the common room of the Prancing Pony, you know, getting into trouble, breaking crockery, and, uh, and you know, like, his mom or dad yells at him, you know, Barnabas! <laughs> Barnabas Butterbur, you get over here. Um, that would be fun, right? Come on. Don't pretend that wouldn't be fun, because it totally would be. Um, but um, anyway, yeah. Um, yes, it would make Butterbur old. That's okay. Do I think... Do I think that having uh oh, did I call him Barnabas Butterbur? Sorry, Treason of Isengard. That's his original name, of course. Uh, uh, I was just doing Barnabas Butterbur. In fact, I was just like training myself not to say Barlaman uh, on Wednesday. But Tony, I agree. His dad should totally be Barnabas. Obviously, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, his at those ages it actually could even be his dad who's the kid, come to think of it. Um but anyway. Yeah, okay. Um Yeah. Anyway, okay, sorry. I'm getting you're 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 leading me astray, Tony, thinking about Bree. Okay, so other events in the Fell Winter. So how do we want the Fell Winter plot to go? So let's map out the Fell Winter plot. Aragorn leaves, he flees from Rivendell. The twins pursue him and catch up with him. Maybe, as suggested there in episode two, he gets himself into a fix pretty soon, and the twins have to pull his biscuits out of the fire right away. Maybe we do that. Maybe not. Maybe he thinks that he's 
still together. I actually kind of think having him run into trouble right away would be a little too humiliating. I think we want to let his arrogance play out a little bit longer than that. Um, he thinks at the beginning that he can handle it. He's a grown-up. He's an adult. They should stop treating him like a child. Uh, he's old enough to handle things. I think his learning that he's not old enough to handle things should be a little gentler than that. So, uh, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Marielle says, why don't they just drag him back? Yeah, we will have to explain that. And I think that's what happens in the conversation. I think that... Uh, when they catch up with him, they have a conversation with him, um, and he basically they convince he convinces them, uh, like them accompanying him is basically their compromise, essentially. Where you know he's like, "Look, you're going to have to like drag me back, kicking and screaming, and I'm going to run away again as soon as I get home." Like, is that what you want? Um, you know, he can't go back. He won't go back. And them feeling like, okay, that's probably not. Um, that's probably not the way it should go, uh, and but but they can't just leave. You know, he he wants them to leave, and Tony was like, you know, go back, you know, go back to Elrond, you know, tell your dad I'm fine and I don't need any help. They're going to refuse to do that. So the compromise solution will be the two of them stay with him and travel with him. Um, that seems to me to kind of work out. Um, yeah, yeah. Tony says his running away turns out to be partly a good thing because that's how the twins in the Dunedain learn of the danger to the Shire. Yeah, that kind of works, doesn't it, Tony? That kind of seems like a Tolkienian thing, right? It was a bad decision and it had bad consequences, but in the end it turns out to be good to have been, right? Yeah, that works for me. Um, and it may still remain evil, Nick. Of course it does, but nevertheless, like, it's, that's, that's, and it works. Um, yeah, so, um, right, Marie says, so they are Beleg. Yeah, yeah, essentially, yeah, great parallel, right? We 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 establish a little free Turin Beleg parallel there, except without the horrible death. Then he's not going to kill them later on, so that's good. Um, right now, Mike is is exactly was just thinking exactly the same thing. He's like, man, we should save this. We should save this for Turin. No, we're foreshadowing Turin, Mike. We're foreshadowing Turin. Um, by the way, I'm actually even kind of thinking. Um, I, I I understand Trisha's uh, concern about sort of Aragorn, Aragorn um, uh, you know, ennui that we don't want to be too Aragorn fixated in our frames. I feel like it's necessary here at the beginning, seasons one, three, and five. But um, I think we can leave him behind for a while. And I don't think we have to come back to Aragorn for a while. We could wait. Turin. I, I want to come back to 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 Aragorn for Turin, um, because Turin is like the human being story. Um, so wrestling with like mortality and the fate of humanity. Um, I think that's, that's got to be Aragorn again, but I think we can, we can stay away from him until we get to, 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 to Turin. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm not saying we have to parallel his story to Turin's Marie, cause that would be too depressing, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Marielle says, "Could we do an Easter egg, uh, a, a treason of Isengard Easter egg, uh, and uh, have him travel by the name of Estelle, son of Turin, uh, during his travels? That would be that would be fun. Actually, I like that." Uh, Marielle's referring to the fact we talked about this in Treason of Isengard class on Wednesday, um, when uh, Tolkien <clears throat> was first. 
you know, as you may know, the Strider character was originally named Trotter, and Trotter was originally a hobbit with wooden shoes. So when 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 Frodo's character, when Frodo and company, who is not named Frodo at the time, gets to Bree for the first time and meets the strange ranger in the prancing pony, he is Trotter, the hobbit who wears wooden shoes, um, and he doesn't become Aragorn, the heir of Elendil, until later. And that's the point that we're reaching now uh, at the beginning of the Treason of Isengard. So. Um, but in the manuscript, when Tolkien first wrote the lineage of Aragorn into the story, it says, you know, he is a descendant of, and he, the first thing he wrote was Turin. He's a descendant of Turin. And then he immediately crosses it out. Uh, and, you know, he says, no, no, he's a descendant of, uh, uh, you know, he's from the family of Elrond. He's, he's descended from, from Olendil. Um, but he had that impulse. He had that flash of like, I want to connect him to Turin. Right, uh, so uh, so yeah, Mariel, I kind of like that idea because no one else is going to know that name, right? Uh, we could show the twins being really uneasy when he suggests that, maybe, but I don't know. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, Tony says he thinks they should call him Trotter to hide his identity. <laughs> you need a pseudonym for your pseudonym, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, so let's so so let's, so let's carry on. Okay. So so they catch up with him. They decide to go along with him. Um, relatively, so they can maybe they have an encounter. Maybe they have an adventure. Right. Uh, the three of them together. I'm not quite sure what, but the idea would be. Well, hang on. Let me, uh, let me. Let me. Let me go back. Let's do this with this screen up. Um, so we'd be here, meanwhile in Beleriand, and we're encountering dwarves and stuff here in episode four, right? So episode four could be his encounter then with the Dunedain. So if we have episode two and three be the encounter with Eldon and Elro here, and maybe they're traveling together some, we can have episode four be um, their, uh, the, the encounter with the Dunedain, right? And he meets Halberd and Halberd Jr., uh, who obviously needs a name, um, Marielle says maybe Halberd Jr. calls him that. Estelle, son of Turin. Oh, man. Marielle, you're on fire today. Uh, anyway, okay, so the fell winter should come in. When do we get to the Helcaraxa? Just to make sure we get, we, you know, we have our uh, uh, crossing of the Helcaraxa. Okay, right. Uh, episode 10. That's quite late. Setting off in the Helcaraxa, episode 9. Okay. Um, so, and we don't have to wait until then. Uh, necessarily for the fell winter stuff to begin, but if we're getting drama right with Halberta Jr. and stuff, that could start here episodes 4 and 5 and 6 um, uh, yeah, I have no idea what Halberta and Son's name is right, you guys have to come up with that Oh, Mario, you meant Trotter, uh, right, as as the nickname that Halberta Jr. son gave him. Yeah, sure, a derisive nickname, yeah. Uh, or Mario, what if he calls him Strider? Oh my goodness, that's awesome! Right, Halberd Jr. calls him Strider derisively, maybe, uh, and then he like adopts that. So it's okay. it's what they call him in Brie. I know, uh, you know, maybe we could connect that in, but I don't know. But come on, don't pretend like that's not fun because it totally is. Um, but uh, anyway, all right. So we'll come up with a name for uh, for Halberd's uh, uh, for Halberd Jr. That's not hard. Um, when we get to the Fell Winter. So we have to have the fell winter coming. Maybe they learn of rumors of movements in the north first. Um, we need a story behind the fell winter, right? 
And the fell winter can't just be a random meteorological phenomenon, right? Especially not if it's in alignment with an invasion from the north. Um, so this has to be a plan of some kind. Um, we need to. We need a story. We need a story for that. Witch King related. Yeah, the Witch King's. He's he's been evacuated though. Angmar's dead. Angmar's been dead for a while. But maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, Mariel is of course reminding us that the witch, the the Lossoff believe the Witch King can do this. Maybe he's back. Maybe there's. Um, uh, in Dol Guldur. So this is a time of unrest in that Sauron has just left Dol Guldur and returned to Mordor. I have to think this through a little bit. And we have to be a little cautious here because if we make this too plot intensive, then our 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 frame is going to completely take over the season and we can't let that happen. And again, we don't want to spoil what could be a really good season of its own uh, uh, later on. So it has to be not a major thing, but it has to be an incident and we don't have to fully explain it. We can just speculate, right? Um, speculation of... Well, so the Witch King would be obvious speculation. It's just like Angmar. I mean, the Dúnedain would be full of stories of the old days in Angmar and the power of the Witch King. So they would at least be suspicious that the Witch King has returned. Maybe this is Angmar reborn or being reborn. Maybe this is... Um... Sorry, uh, Rickle Richards just said, Season 3, The Battle of the Sudden Frame. <laughs> oh, man, that is too brilliant, Rickle. That's wonderful. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, right, Marie, let's stick to speculation. The Dunedain, the Sons of Elrond might have different answers. Gandalf might know or might make cryptic remarks. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, Brianna suggests she'd rather have the weather attract the orcs than some uh, other evil attract the weather. Um, a way to explain the weather could drift into Valar territory. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's think about that. We need to come up with the real story, and then we need to come up with, like, versions of the story or, or guesses at the real story that different people have. I think the Sons of Elrond, Gandalf, and maybe Círdan... And maybe Kierden knows the real answer. Maybe 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 Olmo tells him the real answer or something, and he like he has a dream, right? Um, um, <laughs> right. Wait, maybe we have somebody stand on a cliff and say it's Saruman, right? Yeah, that's that, perfect. Yeah, no, that's obviously the way that it has to go. Um, but um, I. I and you know I'm kidding, right? Yeah, maybe not that. <laughs> yeah, maybe not that. Okay, fine. Um, all right, we are out of time, and I should stop here. Um, but uh, uh, but anyway, okay. Uh, no, but I think we're good. Then we get to the, you know, we need to have, when well, we didn't finish all this stuff. Anyway, this is enough for you guys to work with, right? Give me an outline. So you guys on the discussion boards, give me an outline. Work this stuff into an outline, a 13-stage uh, outline, and we'll start by going over that next time. Um, that'll, be, that'll be a great way um, to, um, 
to begin our next session. Um, and this should be this should be a lot of fun. Also, um, the subject of our next session uh, is creative challenges. So you remember back at the beginning of season two, we did some sort of overview discussion of like, how are we going to handle the elves? Like, are we going to make the elves look different? Are we going to cast them as different races? You know, are we going to, uh, are we going to like, how are we going to make their cultures be? What's the cultural difference between the, <clears throat> the Vanyar and the Noldor? Like all those things were sort of the bigger conceptual issues that we were um, talking about at the beginning of season two. We've answered, of course, a bunch of those questions. So we have fewer of that kind of really huge question to answer. Um, here at the uh, um, here in season three. However, we um, we still do have some things that we need to figure out. So um, here are, here are my main issues that I want to think through during the episode next time. Um, first, we need to think about. I want to. I want to come back to the Menegroth situation. Um, I want to. I want to answer the questions. Why do we need Menegroth again? Exactly. Um, why do the elves want to live in a cave? And why do they need the help of the dwarves? Um, I'm not saying I want to change any of those things. I'm just saying I want answers to those questions that make sense, that are compelling, um, and fit with the story that we're telling. Um, I don't want that to be because there seems to me there's a risk of that being kind of weak when we get there. So like, what's the point of Menegroth and why do they need the dwarves help in making it? Um, that's one challenging question that I have uh, for that. Um, another one, the Helcaraxa. What do we do in the Helcaraxa? I mean, yes, we can make it like, obviously, exposure to the elements, it's very cold, right? And it's very slippery, and there's grinding ice, right? So, like, people can fall off and get drowned or crushed by ice and things. So it's it's very challenging to walk across, and it's easy to die, and you could die by exposure to the elements. Is that it? Do, is there any other danger? Do we have monsters? Does Morgoth attack? Do we have a, a fight on the snow? Are there other things involved? How do we... Is, is that is it... Because, of course, like, dying of exposure is not the most exciting thing to depict on film. And um, we can do that. But do we want to... You know, how do we want to do the dangers of the Helcaraxa? That's so my general question. What do you guys think about that? Um, my third and biggest question or sort of challenge that I want to uh, deal with is the bad guy plot. Um What's Angban like? What are Angban politics like? I mentioned it earlier in this uh, uh, episode or in this session, but I want to come back to it and talk about it much more next time. What is Morgoth's relationship with the? You know, we've 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 been doing the Gothmog Sauron thing. We'll keep doing the Gothmog Sauron thing. How exactly does Morgoth fit into the into the Sauron Gothmog equation? <clears throat> what are things like in Angban? Um, and how do we want to how do we want to handle that uh, to move forward? So um, that's uh, <laughs> Robert says. Is it only the ice that's dangerous? Right? Uh, echoing, of course, Pippin's question to Mary at the on the eaves of the old forest. Is it only the trees that are dangerous? Uh, awesome, Robert. Very very well done. Bye. You guys are you guys are doing great today. I have loved your comments so much. Um, that's that. That is fantastic. You and a ribbon for that one, Robert. Um, 
Okay, so um, yeah, yeah. So those are those are the three things that I would like to talk about. If there are other issues that you guys have, please do feel free to suggest those on the discussion boards as well. Um, that would be uh, that would be awesome. So we'll talk about the the, the new outline uh, for the frame, and then we'll talk about those challenges. And then in the episode after that, or in the session after that, rather, we will be ready to uh, uh, we'll be ready to talk about uh, to talk about episode one to start uh, start start going on things. Um, so yeah, so the first, let me review. The first item was Minigroth. Like, what's up with Minigroth? Why do we need it? And 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 how does it happen? And why are the dwarves involved? Um, that is apart from the fact that it's in the text. Like, I know that's why we need it. But why does why do Thingol and Million need it? Why do we why do we build Minigroth? Uh, two, um, what's the and and what am I alluding to there? In part, is the fact that it's kind of. It's, it's sort of counterintuitive to most people that the elves live underground, right? Like, why do they? Why do? Why? Why do they move into a cave? Why do they move into a cave? Okay, so why do they move into a cave? What's up with the cave? Uh, two. What's up on the hell Caraxa? And three. Um, the Angban situation. So, okay. Thanks, everybody. That's what we're going to talk about next time, plus any other suggestions that you have, and maybe we can revisit some other things as well. I think we'll have plenty of time for next time. So thanks, everybody, for joining me, and I will we'll, we'll be back in two weeks for another session of the Silmarillion Film Project. Thanks for listening, and Godspeed.